Good evening, everybody. I hope you're doing well. So this is a Saturday night show, just before we jump in and listen to the listeners, which I believe is how they got their name. Let us take a moment to think of the dead Saudi Arabian King Abdullah. Passed away Friday during, due to complications from a lung infection, which I think means that he got a small slice of either empathy or ethics lodged in his trachea, and it proved allergic to him. Boy, if you ever want to see real power politics at work, you listen to the series of gushing, fawning fanboy tributes from American leaders. In his official statement, President Obama praised King Abdullah's enduring contribution to the search for peace in the Middle East. Because, you know, that's... I mean, that's all sorted and solved. Secretary of State John Kerry called him a man of wisdom and vision. Vice President Biden announced he'd lead the American delegation to Saudi Arabia to mourn the king in person. Flags all around the Western world were at half-mast. I mean, this guy, he has a truly repulsive human rights record. How much has he been valuable or useful in regional security? It's just so hideous. King Abdullah is going to be replaced by his half-brother, Salman, who has vowed to continue the correct policy of the late king. So if you happen to be, say, a woman in Saudi Arabia, a religious minority, a political dissident, which in Western terms would be somebody who thinks for themselves, it's not good news. Of course, as you know, I'm sure Saudi Arabia is an absolute totalitarian dictatorship monarchy. You cannot oppose the ruling family in any way, shape, or form. If you're mad enough to call for limited government or, God help you, religious pluralism, well, you get long-ass prison sentences and state-inflicted violence. A couple of weeks ago, there was a Saudi blogger named Rauf Badawi, and he dared to defend atheism. Didn't say he was an atheist, but dared to defend atheism. His punishment, 1,000 lashes and 10 years in jail. I don't imagine Saudi jails would be classified under the club-fed approach that some minimum security facilities have in the West. And they did flog him 50 times, and then they said, well, you know, we're going to need to wait for your wounds to heal before we continue the punishment. And uh, being a woman in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. So they have this guardianship system. And so women have to seek male permission to travel, to leave the house, to work. And of course, as I'm sure you're aware, they're not allowed to drive. Yeah. And it's not like they just the underprivileged or underclass women are attacked. King Abdullah, with his 13 wives and 15 daughters, four of his 15 daughters have lived under house arrest for now 13 years because they opposed in public the kingdom's policies towards women. Two of his daughters have said that they're running low on food. I mean, this is a hideous window to pre-medieval 
dictatorship people. This, these are the vile jab of the hut, oil drenched toads that your leaders genuflect before, kiss the hem of their garment and the rings on their finger. It is horrendous. And uh, the new King Salman, 79 years old, alleged to be suffering from dementia. Well, when he dies, I'm sure he will be credited with curing cancer, walking on water, altering the orbit of the planet to fix global warming, and bringing the dead back to life. But the reality is, I mean, you want to see the moral nature of your leaders? Just look at who they praise. The men are known by the company that they keep. Now, this is not particular to Obama. I mean, Bush was holding hands with one of these vile creatures as well. Now, 15 of the 1911 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. And the king in charge of the country is a wise elder statesman. That is truly just amazing. You know, I, I try not to be overly cynical, but my God, oh planet, do you ever make it hard to get out of bed every morning sometimes looking at how the world works. And this bootlicking of tyrants uh, is, is a vileness not really seen since FDR and Churchill licked the boot of Stalin. But at least then they had the incentive of having Stalin open up the Eastern Front against Hitler. As Churchill said, were Hitler to invade hell itself, I'm sure I could find something nice to say about the devil. But, you know, when you go to vote, when you see these teleprompter speeches, when you see these guys joke and laugh and sing songs, that this is the hierarchy of power that they serve. These are the devils whose boots they lick. And to be ruled by such tiny, tiny people is really the greatest humiliation of living in a democracy. They're even smaller than the mob itself. So thanks, I just wanted to mention that, get you up to date on the latest in world politics. But uh, Mike, who do we have up first? All right, up first today is Brian. Brian wrote in and said, given that we are a social species that lives and evolved in cooperative societies, defining society as a quote-unquote group of people who involved in persistent interpersonal relationships or a large societal group sharing the same geographical or social territory, how would it be possible for our species to share geographical or social territory without the use of or threat of the use of force? I'm not sure I understand the question. Are you saying, how is it possible for me, if I build a house, how is it possible for me to keep other people out of my house without the threat of force? Yeah, well, that's pretty much exactly what I'm thinking, because if we're looking at, say, self-defense, and you're saying to somebody, if you enter my property then I will defend my property with force, then that is a yep. threat of the use of force. So how is it possible to set up a society where we interact and cooperate with, cooperate with each other uh, without a threat of the use of force? Well, I mean, do you think that a woman can use self-defense if she's about to be raped? Well, of course I do, and I think that that, again, would be a threat of the use of force. If you are threatening to rape me, I will use force against you. Okay, so... There's nothing wrong. I don't know why. What's the problem with the use of force then? 
the woman's well, the, defending her property called the vagina. I'm defending my property called my house. I, I don't see what the big distinction is. I, don't, I, I totally agree. I don't think there's any problem with the use of force. But you're always... But, and now, let me just clarify myself here because I don't want to get this into a th- sort of a um, argument where I'm trying to get like one up. Because actually, quite, I mean, I, I, I like a lot of the stuff you say. I agree with a lot of the stuff you say. But eventually, like, maybe going down to the like, likes of taxation, you always say you're using force to take my taxes. And the use of force is immoral. Now, what I'm saying that is fundamental. No, 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 no. I've never said the use of force is immoral. Okay. When, when did I ever say the use of force okay. is immoral? I'll take it back. I'm not. What I'm saying is that taxation is the use of force, which you do not agree with. Is that correct? Taxation is the initiation of force. It's a yeah, kind I, of a difference, right? Well, right, so you're, oh, right. So, so, well, it's not really because because defending my property is the initiation of force. So is that? Uh, no, 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 no. Defend, no, no. Defending a property is not the initiation of force, because people are going to use force to get to your property, right? Well, they don't, they don't have to use force. They could simply walk into my garden and lift something and take it, and I don't want them to take it. They could simply walk into my front garden and see a nice monument and or statue or whatever, and say, "I want that for myself and take it." And I would say, "Well, right. do you know what? I'm not going to let you take that." And then I would, I would initiate force to stop them taking that. Well, no, they're initiating force by stealing from you because they're, 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 they're removing your choice about your allocation of resources. So if I've spent you know, five months carving that statue and someone comes along and steals it, then they've just made me their involuntary slave for five months. And whether they do that for the time that I'm making the statue, like they kidnap me and force me to make the statue, uh, ethics are universal, which means they're independent of time. So if somebody enslaves me and, and makes me create a statue for five months, that's immoral. Well, but no, if, no, somebody, uh, if somebody no. uh, allows me, you know, puts me, quote, under house arrest and takes my statue, then they have retroactively enslaved me well, for those that, five months that it took for me to create the statue. No, I think you're, there's a misdefinition of slavery. A slavery is when you, uh, when you incarcerate somebody and force them to do something. Nobody incarcerated you and forced you to make that statue. You made that statue from your own free will, and then somebody liked it and decided they were going to take it from you. That is not slavery. It's not even close to slavery. I don't see how that... No, they, it is. Uh, no, no. It, i, I got to disagree with you. It doesn't mean I'm right. But it is, because they well, have now appropriated five months of your time against your will. Now, whether they do that, okay, you, you've obviously got a lot to say because I'm a, not even able to get a sentence out before you interrupt me. So why don't you make your case and then I'll respond and we'll try and do this in a more back and forth manner. No, no, I apologize. I apologize. Right. Okay. So the, the, the slavery doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your location. It doesn't matter if you're in a palace. It doesn't matter if you're in a field. Uh, I mean, obviously it matters in terms of your comfort level. But it doesn't matter where you are. And it also doesn't matter when you are. So um, if, if I work for five months and somebody against my will appropriates that labor, appropriates the products of that labor, then they have simply turned me into a retroactive slave. They have taken five months' worth of my life from me without my say-so, without my agreement, without my permission. Now, if somebody was, came to my house, right, and they said, Steph, 
I'm going to kidnap you for five months and I'm going to make you make a statue. I would be justified in using force to prevent that person from kidnapping me, right? Yeah, but that's totally different from, I mean, that's, I don't agree that's even a close analogy. Okay, but you can't just tell me that something is not right or incorrect or totally different. You have to make the case. Oh, well, but the last time I did, you said I was speaking over you, so if I can reply now, I'll, I'll reply without talking over you. I didn't want to talk over you. Well, no, but, but there's no to... point telling me you just disagree with me without telling me why. I know. I'm saying the last time I said, you said, do not speak over me. You said you were making your case. I'm going to disagree with that. And if I'm allowed to speak... Yes, but if you, if you, if you interrupt me when I'm making my case to simply tell me that you disagree with me without telling me why, then you you're interrupting me. me for no purpose. Right. You ask me if I agree, I say no, and I will tell you why I don't agree, if you would like. If I was waiting until you'd finish your case. If not, I'll be happy now to say... Oh, no, if you, have a, if you have a reason to disagree now, then I'll be quiet and you go ahead. I disagree because slavery, by definition, is the, the, the forced incarceration of somebody. But at any point, when you, when, you, when you make somebody a slave, they do not have the ability to leave. But you... When you're doing your, so we're talking about maybe more fraud or, 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 or actually we've got a very good word for it. It's called theft. And theft and slavery are not the same thing. So if we're going to take somebody's production and take it and steal it from them, it's called theft. It's not called but slavery. You're, you're putting Slave. forward a tautology though. And a tautology is when you've simply defined something in a circular manner. It's not, it's not, so I'm you're not, saying, okay, now go ahead. I won't make my case. You go ahead and finish. It's not a tautology. I'm saying slavery is forced incarceration of somebody, and then you are take you're you're forcing you're incarcerating them and forcing them to do what they want to do. That is absolutely different from take from somebody working on something and then taking it from them. One is slavery because you've forced you've incarcerated them and you've forced them to produce something. The other is they produce something from their own free will and then you have stolen it from them. One is slavery, the other is theft. Okay. Are you, are you done that part? Yeah, I'm, I'm done, sir. Yeah. Okay. So the reason that it's a tautology is we, I'm saying that a theft is a form of, of, of violence, right, in, in that you are taking someone's time against their will, and that's analogous to slavery. It's a form of enslavement. It's not the same as it, it's not directly the same as putting a gun to someone's head and making them work uh, for you directly, but the effect is the same in that your time gets taken from you against your will and without your permission. The, the product, the, the produce of your time, not your time, but the produce of your time gets taken. I don't understand what the difference is. Well, for one, I, right, so if I, if I enslave somebody and I incarcerate them, and they have to do whatever I want them to do, whenever I want to do it. They have, they have got no ability. They, 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 they are enslaved to me. If somebody does works for something, does something, and then I steal the products of that, then it's certainly not because okay. Well, I mean, let, if you could ask uh, an African enslaved to an, an American African who was enslaved. Would they rather have had five months working in the cotton fields, getting whipped and beaten and slashed and abused, or would you rather have even made something and somebody took it from them? I'm pretty sure they would see the difference. Of course they would. Yeah, uh, just because I say that something is a form of enslavement doesn't mean that all forms of enslavement are the same. 
right? That's like saying all forms of murder are the same. You know, first degree, second degree, involuntary manslaughter, whatever, right? Negligent homicide. And you say, well, somebody who was hit by a car accidentally and compare that to somebody who plotted to kill someone, they're not the same thing. It's like, well, sure, but they're still under the category of murder. Well, they're not. They're under the category of culpable homicide or first degree murder or second degree murder. You've, you've just actually categorized the difference. All right, let's just say first degree murder and second degree murder. I agree that they're both murder. They're not the same, though. No, so you've got first degree slavery, which is direct enslavement, and secondary slavery, which is taking the fruits of someone's labor against their will. I mean, so, what was, right, and I, and I can understand where, I mean, I still do not agree that you could possibly class that, classify that as slavery. I mean, we, we, we've, we define that as theft, and there is a very clear distinction. Now, you're saying that you don't agree there's a distinction between theft and slavery, which is, which is fair enough, but however, there still is a use or a threat of a use of force within society. Well, let, let me put it to you this way. A slave can be raped by her master, right? Well, I mean, I don't agree with that. Yes, yes. No, no, no. Yes. I mean, but, but legally, yeah. I would assume, right? I, as, as far as I don't know much about the legality of slavery. But a slave can be uh, raped by, uh, by the master because the master owns the slave, right? It's, it's the master's utility, right? Well, yeah, a slave could, be, could have been raped. Like yes. a, a slave, it's a form of livestock, right? And you, anyway, so... So, but if a man rapes a woman, he is, to all intents and purposes, her slave during the rape. He's She's, forcing her to do something against her will. She violently disagrees with and may fight to the death to prevent or whatever, right? But he is uh, enslaving her in terms of he's overpowering her will and her choice using his will or, or choice. <laughs> so, uh, so, again, we're going to have to can argue the difference between a, a slave and a victim. But, um, I mean, to be honest, so what, what, what I was talking about was the use of force or the threat of the use of force. So, so you're agreeing that, that, that it's okay for, to have the threat of the use of force within society and the fact that one will defend themselves. And it's okay to threaten the use of force and self-defense. And you're agreeing with that? Yeah, of course. Right. Okay. I mean, the, the, you, you can't have self-defense if you can't use force. Oh, There's no such right. thing as self-defense unless you use force. Excellent. Okay, so so, so where are we going with this? Is, what, what we're really talking about is society here. And we're talking about, uh, because I know you don't, I mean, you, and I don't want to misquote you here, but I mean, I have watched videos where you say you, there's no such thing as society, um, which I totally disagree with. Um, but the, the point we're getting at is, is, is that when we start forming societies together, then, then how do we go on to make this society the best it can be for the people? And, what, and, and what's the criteria by which we measure what is, which is the best society? But I don't, I mean, society, let's just say that we accept society for the moment. Society is a product like an iPhone. So to me, you're sort of saying, well, you know, if we decide that we want to talk to each other anywhere in the world without using wires, how do we get the very best phone into the hands of the most people at the best price. No, 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 no. Well, no because I'm, nobody does I'm, that in particular. It's, it's, the, it's the aggregation of voluntary choices that produces the social networks that I think you would call a society, but there's no central how do we get that to happen. It's just people want this particular feature, they want that particular size, they want this kind of battery life, they want this kind of screen, they want whatever, right? And so it's like saying what's the optimum weight 
and strength of a cell phone? Well, there is no such thing because some people will buy rugged cell phones that you can drop from a building and they'll bounce and work and other people don't want things that heavy and expensive and are willing to replace screens or whatever or buy new cell phones if they, if they break or crack the screen and so on, right? So uh, there is no one place where we say, how do we decide where all of this occurs? That's a sort of status mentality or maybe it's a religious mentality. But it's nothing that anyone figures out in particular, and that imposes, it's simply the aggregation of everyone's choices in a situation. No, no, I, 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 I half agree with what you're saying there, um, because, like, if I say, well, it's still, I'll just clarify it anyway, it's certainly not a religious, because uh, I am, I'm probably, probably described as an anti-theist, but uh, as far as the state goes, then I do support the state. Now, and this is basically where, we're, where, where, where I was getting to, because obviously we can't actually discuss wait, the wait, state. Wait, hang on, sorry, sorry to interrupt. You support the state? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm happy to live in a, and right, okay. Now this maybe just give a well, kind of twenty no, seconds. No, no, sorry to interrupt, but the, the reason that I'm asking that is you seem very concerned about violence, and you seem no. very concerned about about people using violence to protect their property. So it would seem to me that you would be more of a radical oh. pacifist if you would be questioning even people's right to use violence in the defense of their property. And so if you seem to be, at least for me, approaching it from a radical pacifist standpoint, it seems surprising to me that then you would advocate, like you're questioning whether someone has the right to use violence to defend their property, well, but no, you're no, advocating no. for a centralized coercive institution that has the right to initiate force pretty much at will. I just find that kind of confusing. No, no I am not. I, I utterly agree with somebody's right to defend their property. I utterly agree with the use of force. I And being that I, I was coming from a position that you disagree with the use of force, and I was I'm coming to a position that obviously you're a you believe in anarchy, you you're not a uh, you don't believe in the state, you don't believe in publicly funded education, public health care, you do not believe in these things. Now we we we, we can't even go on. No, to look, I mean you you got to be precise if you're going to characterize things. I mean it's not like I don't believe in them. Like uh, I close my eyes and put my my hands in my ears and say la 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 la. I reject the initiation of the use of force, and sure, therefore I, I find as immoral all of the products of the initiation of the use of force. Yeah, yeah, in, exactly. in the same way that goods produced by slave labor, I would not buy, right? I mean, so um, it, it's not that I just, you know, I disbelieve in these things. That's, that's um, sort of an epistemological argument, uh, that the initiation of force is immoral, I think I've established pretty Clearly, at least in, to my satisfaction in my variety of books and, and podcasts, but, and, and therefore, as a result, these things are immoral. But I just sort of want to be precise. It's not, it's not the fruit of the tree that I object to. It's the trunk. No, and, and, that's, and I completely agree. That's why when, when I was actually wanting to start discussing the, the, the foundation of the use of force and where, where you agree it extends to, but that obviously has to do, be discussed before you can go any further. And that, that was why I started with that, but fundamentally, we're, we're really talking about how we interact and cooperate as a society, uh, and whether or not, um, if we come together and things like taxation, that actually are the use of force, uh, and by how you would define it. So, I mean, I, I Wait, sorry, agree. do you think that taxation is not the use of force? Um, I, uh, um, 
Dep- again, it depends on you define force. In my case, certainly not. I'm more than happy to contribute to society where I reap the benefits of taxation. And I think it would be immoral to live in a society that, that doesn't uh, protect the weaker members of, of society. Now, I know you, so it's I know not you slavery just, if the slave likes it? Well, it's not slavery at all because I'm... I, I, no, no, no. Slavery is not slavery if the slave I, is happy to do it. Slavery is not slavery if the person isn't enslaved, if they're not incarcerated, if they've got the ability to leave. I can leave my society at any point. I've got nobody pointing a gun to my head and saying, you can't leave. Could, no, they do. Any... No, absolutely. No, you're wrong about that. They do. Well, there's no... Well, I live in Scotland where there actually is no firearms. The police don't even have firearms. There isn't anybody pointing a gun at my head. I can leave Scotland tomorrow if I want. I do not have a gun at my head. So I'm certainly not enslaved to this society. Tomorrow, if I want, I can go to anywhere within the European Union, for example, and live anywhere. Excellent, so fantastic. And then you don't have to pay taxes wherever you go, right? Well, you, it depends whether or not... You, um, how you, I mean, I could go and live off the grid. It depends on whether or not. Do you, do, you, do you know if there's a European Union nation that doesn't impose taxes on its citizens? Well, there's plenty of places in Europe you could go live without paying taxation. You could go live, it's called off the grid. I mean, you, in America right now, it's Oh, called, so if uh, you live in hiding and a fear of arrest, then well, that's called being free. No, no, that's a misrepresentation. It's not hiding. If you, if you go and look at, I mean, was it Louis Theroux did a documentary in Almost Heaven where these people live quite happily, openly. They don't pay taxation. They don't have driver's license. They live in the middle of America, one of the worst countries in the planet for this and they live off the grid and don't pay any taxation so I mean uh, wait they live off the grid but there was a documentary about them yeah well yeah there was Louis Theroux did the documentary I think they might want to go a little further off the the grid than that but they could be they could legally be arrested at any time the government may have not done that for whatever reason I don't know but that's not the same as being free. That's like saying that the slaves who were going through the Underground Railroad on the way to Canada or on the way to somewhere where they could be more free, that they're free because they're not currently being whipped by a slave master. I don't think that we would say that because the only reason they're in the Underground Railroad is because and they're trying to escape from slavery is because there is slavery. So their yeah. choices are fully conditioned by the fact that they're slavery. And these people who live off the grid and choose that kind of lifestyle, all of those decisions are made because there is taxation. They're not free from taxation. They're living directly in the shadow of taxation and their choices are fundamentally driven by the reality of taxation and regulation well actually that's not true because I could just stop working and then I could go into welfare and not pay any taxation so I do have the ability to avoid taxation if that's what it comes down to you have the ability to avoid taxation is there no uh, it says there's no value added tax or consumption tax or tax on gasoline or tax on uh uh, your rent in an in apartment or house is not, is not, they're not required to pay property taxes on that. Come on, man. No, but, no, but, but here's the thing, right? So, so, and here is the thing. I, this is, I'm happy to pay taxes. So, what do you say? So, let's, for example, say that. Then you tomorrow, should pay taxes in a free society. Yeah. Oh, okay. But so, so what? Uh, Look, right, so the fact I'm, that you want to buy a Lexus in no way commands you or gives you the right to force me to buy a Lexus, God's sake. If you want to do it, if you want to pay taxes, if you want to be owned, if you want to have your children run into debt through national debts, if you want to have your currency deflated, if you want to be subject to wars, if you want to have the fruits of your labor turned into machineries of murder and sold around the world, that is your choice. But you do not have the right to impose that choice upon anyone else. 
And nobody is. If you want to move to Somalia tomorrow and not pay any taxes, you can go, you can date your family, take your children with you and go live in the tax-free utopia anarchist society of Somalia. I mean, we're not getting anywhere by, by, by arguing these absolutely ridiculous extremes. We're talking about... I'm sorry, How absolutely people... ridiculous extremes, I'm not sure. So you're saying that if people are willing to leave their their families, their societies, their friends, their business networks, their careers, if, and, and go and live in a desert with people who do, they don't speak the language, they don't have a cultural history and so on, that if, they're, if, they're, if their choice is to flee and leave most of their property behind and of their friends, their contacts, business relationships, family, bank accounts, money, you name it, that if people are free to flee and go and live in a fucking desert, that that's exactly the same as living in a free society. Well, I mean, but don't you support that? I mean, this is getting into like this total one-upmanship. I mean, you support the aloofing. You support turning your back on people who are, how could you hang with somebody who wants to shoot you? I mean, you did the, you did a big speech in that. Now, I don't want to get, a, get this into that's a, a, that. That's a misquote. No, that's a misquote. Well, it's not a misquote because I watched the video. It is an and absolute misquote and a complete mischaracterization. And this is the kind of sloppy thinking that's been on display during our entire conversation. I oh. did not say they want to shoot you. I said don't hang with people who support the use of force against you. Not that they want to pull the trigger directly, but they're quite content to have other people do it. Right, but what I'm saying is that you do support the ostracizing yourself. You're just saying, you give a big rant there about... Why would you ostracize yourself? Why would you leave? And then in the very next breath, you were saying, oh, actually, I did actually say that anybody who supports the use of force against me, I want to leave. That we should oh, my God, man. You, uh, do you have, like, do you have any? Oh, my God, I'm trying to figure out where your brain is. I'm trying to track down your brain cells in your head. So I am, if I choose not to associate with statists, yep. am I forcing them to leave their homes and go to fucking Somalia? No, but if you want to go and love Listen, in a society... Listen, if I choose not to date a woman, is that the same as me raping her? Oh, this is a, that's an absolutely ridiculous analogy. Like I see, no, this is exactly what you're saying. Well, you're saying that it's me ostracizing status. It's exactly the same as people being driven to go and live in hey, Somalia. Was, so you pulled me up for talking over you and now you're going to talk over me. Can I make my point? I'd like you, it if you... you said to, right, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Right, so what, in this society, we have many people who support the state. I am one of them, okay? I happily support it. I, I and, and, and almost everybody I know supports the state, okay? We come together as a society and try to work for the better good of society. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the way that the state has been misused and exploited is disgraceful. And I do not agree with the current governments. And I do not agree with the way things are. But that doesn't get away from the fundamental principle that I believe that we are better working together for the greater good of society okay so no. okay so no no i gotta interrupt you because you're saying a lot of things that are just not true so working together implies a voluntarism and you're talking about the state so i think the reality is that since you support the state you support the initiation of force against me in other words since you support taxation you support taxation against me you support the initiation of force against me so that's all you had to say at the beginning of the conversation, since you support the use of force against me, my friend, 
I can't imagine uh, why I would dignify this conversation as if we're having uh, a uh, rational uh, discussion. Because you uh, support the use of force against me, uh, I am uh, not in any way, shape, or form going to pretend that something else is happening other than you are supporting the use of force against me. So I'm not going to dignify this by pretending we're having a rational conversation about ideals and reason and evidence because you support the use of force against me. So there's nothing else for us to talk about. Unless you're willing to stop supporting the use of force against me, I'm not going to pretend we're having a rational conversation. And with that, Mike, I'm afraid we're going to need to move on to the next call. All right. Well, up next is David. David wrote in and said... When you found the unicorn, a.k.a. the ideal female partner, how far should one go? <laughs> the ideal... Oh, come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> how far the should role one... plays that I get into in my personal relationships <laughs> and the horse costuming and <laughs> nose cones that that may involve. I'm pretty sure I had tried to keep off the cloud in terms of the video production. But anyway, go ahead. All right. When you found the unicorn... How far should one go in order to, quote-unquote, give it their best shot without crossing any kind of lines? Being too dramatic, stalking, a.k.a. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> stalking. Okay. All right. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a good, good question. Good question. Uh, listen, have you found this mythical beast? Is it well, I sent in the question two months ago, and, uh, well... Did you blow it? No, it's... The beast was scared away, you know, I set up my booty trap, you know, had the nets, all of that was good to go, but something scared it off. I don't know what. Maybe your reference to a woman as it. Oh, you mean the unicorn, right? Okay, 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 got it. <laughs> got it. Oh, um, all right. Well, uh, before you continue, first of all, I'd like to thank you for accepting me onto this show, Stefan Molyneux. This show is a great intellectual tool, and it definitely helps me prepare myself for adulthood and becoming great decisions of my life. Well, thank you. Um, because I'm paranoid, all I heard was you call me a tool. But I appreciate the sentiment as a whole. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very, very kind words. So, can you give me a scenario whoa, whoa, where this would be going down? So, you meet a woman and she's rational and she's empirical and she's mature and she's committed to self-knowledge and, and all these kinds of things. That's sort of what you're talking about, right? Yes. And... When it comes to starting to get in contact, uh, you know, I'm 19, right? So I'm in the dating phase of my life, and I've been doing it for two years now. So, But uh, without any great success, been in the gray zone for multiple times, but never been able to make it into the next stage. Um, okay, so the scenario would be that you getting start getting in contact with someone, and uh, you like to get to know them a bit more. Uh, and you don't know how much, it, since you're, you're a guy, right? I'm a guy. So I should always, I am always the, the initiator of conversations and, uh, the driving force that, you know, develops the relation because. <laughs> well, because dot, 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 you know, lots of, <laughs> lots of biological evolution and, yes. and so on. <laughs> Yeah, the, the woman's job is to open the gallery. Your job is to pay to get in. But okay, yeah. <laughs> more or less. But I need to somehow balance it so that I, you know, don't go too far. But hey, why? Sometimes they wonder why. Why you're asking all these questions? Because you you're not actually uh, contributing that much to the conversation, and I like to know more about you. 
But oh, you do. So you you do sort of a um. Uh, a, a rational, emotional cross-examination analysis of her potential carrier of rational eggs. Yes. Is that... Okay, got it. Oh. Got it. So, you know, we'd like to know I think more I've got about the you. New but... name for, I think I've got the new name for the Free Domain Radio waiting, dating site. But... <laughs> 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 <All right>. Nice. <laughs> Except it's not. Okay, so, so when you, can you give me the kind of questions? Okay, let's pretend that I am some highly evolved, rational, emotive, philosophical cutie. Uh, what would you What would you ask me? Hi, I'm Hi. reasonable. Um, all right, um, already know your name. Um, already know your age, and so, what did you do? What my so name is? What have you my name is. Can I tell you? You don't know my name. My name right. is Socrates. I'll just call you Lucy. Okay. <laughs> That's better so than Lucy. Griselda. <laughs> Griselda was the last one. Oh, God. Mojo on Griselda, who I pretty much thought was a character out of the old BC comic strip. But anyway. Um, okay, right. so I'm Socrates, so which means I'm cheesy and I'm week. easy. But go on. Have yeah. you done anything particularly or noteworthy this in the last few days? Like, no. I certainly have. I've been working on a, uh, I've been working on two things, a hot yoga and a deconstruction of Kantian ethics. Oh, that's great. I've not been doing anything related to that at all. But on the other hand, I... <laughs> oh, it's hard to take this serious, but... Um... No, what would you, what would you ask? Because you, you, well, you're yeah, perceived all, as interrogating, um, right? Yeah. And not participating? Yeah. First, uh, I'd ask so if she's been doing anything exciting or anything particular or noteworthy uh, in the last uh, days or weeks. Um, then I would go on to ask um, some more intimate questions, like, for example, are you a? Have you ever donated to um, to support uh, certain causes, like um, helping the Horn of Africa, or? Um, have you ever donated to the Horn of Africa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like being a world conscious person because you know that's a important value, right? Okay. Um, Would you like to donate to my Horn of Africa? No, I just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, Steph. I'll take you the long way around the coast, baby. I'll be lapping it up like the deep sea itself. Okay, so have you donated to a particular cause? Sounds like you're about to hit her up for another <laughs> donation to that cause. So, are you trying to get at something? Are you trying to get at, like, is she interested in international politics or? or... Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, or be, just being so, a world wait, conscious wait, wait. person. Why, why can't you? Why? Why can't either a? Why can't you ask her that directly? Or b? Why can't you talk about things that you're interested in and see if she has any, any clue what you're talking about? It seems kind of oblique, you know, like it's a it's a roundabout way to try and get some information that you want. Yeah, it's like, you know, you can try to prepare the questions with. It's just. All right. Let me let me ask it to you another way. Is it really like number one on your list of potential life partners that they have a interest in international politics? Well, it's, um, I think it's a different, uh, I think it's um, an important one uh, that you shouldn't deny. And it, it does say a lot about the person, like um, if you're a 
world conscious person that means you're you have a drive force to for change or uh, or you know you care right, about donating to political causes is having a driving force for change. Well, I'm not sure about that, but I sort of get that sort of a mainstream mainstream yes. view. Okay, so give me give me your top three things, not like and and not so specific. Okay. As international right. politics or whatever, right? But give me your top three things that you'd want out of a potential life partner. Well, the first, uh, except for the physical attraction part, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think we have to take it for granted that you, you can't find her like something out of the fiend yeah, folio. Okay. So, all right. What else? The first would be to. Um, Oh yeah, I actually wrote this down. Um, to be Hopefully able to not on your sweaty hand discuss, while you're asking the woman uh, this question. Ideas, right? uh, to, to be able to take in new ideas and able to you know have uh, discussions without uh, being uh, you know feeling offended or aggressive. You know, just like having a able to fully be able to have an open discussion and not be offended. Uh, okay. Able to so, share ideas. So, I mean, a good, that, a good so, way to do. Yeah. So, hang on. So, you and, and I'm, I, I know I just asked you for three things. So, I'm actually yeah. I'm completely wrong to interrupt you. So, discuss ideas, and can you get to the second one? Okay. So, the second one would be um, to hmm. It would be to be more about. Um, on the on the right on the right scale of um, on on the you know, like the political view because even if you're you know open to discussions it can still be it can still be a little uh, difficult to talk to someone who is like far leftist right um, even though you, oh yeah you know, no, no yeah far far left political correctness uh, is all about substituting offense for counter argument but. Uh... Yeah, so I've always had a diff- some difficulty with talking with these women, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, okay, so hang on. We've got be hot, discuss ideas, and right-leaning, which is fine. Yes. And what else? And also, no, what else? Um, have a... It would be also like be having a healthy uh, lifestyle, uh, like believing that you shouldn't, you sh- really shouldn't smoke. You shouldn't uh, be eating too much sugar, or you know, all of those uh, things, right? Um, right. And uh, have so do some exercise a little now and then, and not basically treating yourself like garbage um, all right. for the sake of short-term uh, satisfaction. Right. Like candy or something. Right. Right. Okay, um, would you like any feedback on this list? Okay, um, feedback on this list? Uh, sure. Yeah. Would you like any feedback on this list? Um, I would like some feedback on this list. Yes. That's my feedback on this list. <coughs> because there's nothing in, about virtue here. Nothing. Be hot, discuss ideas, right-leaning, healthy lifestyle with some exercise thrown in. None of that has anything to do with exercise. I'm sorry, with, with, with the exercise of virtue, with, with virtue itself. 
All right. You know, a younger sailor, Palin, would probably fit into that conversation. So the, que- the, so the question is, what is your dick for? And it's a very, very important question, right? And yeah, your dick, because, because you're basically saying to your dick, what are we looking for here, right? And, and the reason I say you're talking to your dick is because th- these would be fine for male friends too, right? I mean, other than the be hot thing, which would be, I guess, useful if they're going to be your wingman. But you could look for a male friend who's going to discuss ideas, who's right-leaning, who's into a healthy lifestyle, and so on, right? So none of this is specific to your penis. That's my concern. Good points. So, so what is your penis for? Why do you have a penis? I'm not trying to be annoying or insulting. It's a very, very important question. It sounds like a funny question. It's a very, very important question. Oh, no. It's, what is your penis I, for? To, is it for fun? No, to reproduce and to spread, yeah. uh, to preserve my genes and, you know, uh, my heritage. So they will your, pass your on to penis, future generations. Your penis is, first of all, it's to give you a great tennis grip when you're a teenager. But secondly, your penis is to, is there so you can make other penises and vaginas. So that they can make other penises and vaginas and so on, right? Your penis is there. Yeah, your penis is there to make babies. That's the only reason it's fun. That's the only reason it gives you tingly bits. It's the only reason that uh, I guess everyone switched from Speedos to long pants when you couldn't hide your boners anymore. That is why you have a penis. Now, your penis does not discuss ideas. Your penis is not right-leaning, or if it is, you should probably see a doctor. And your penis gets exercised, but itself does not exercise, <laughs> I guess, too much, right? And, and, and the reason I'm, I'm saying all of this is that you have a penis so that you can make babies. And you should be choosing not the cranker of your penis, but the mother of your children. Now, the mother of your children, I would recommend, would have certain virtues that you should be looking for. In other words, you choose your partner based upon the best wishes of unrealized children. Don't let your penis choose your partner. Let your future children produce your partner because that's the only goddamn thing the penis is fundamentally for. So, if, just to put yourself in this mindset, if you could imagine being your future child who could pick up a really long-distance iPhone, give you a call and say, This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. This is who I want you to impregnate. These are the characteristics I want my mom to have. What would that kid say you should be looking for? You should look for the the most beautiful, virtuous woman you can find and just go for it. Yeah, okay. That's that's like saying you should get a high-paying job that you like. That's not particularly helpful. What are the virtues that you should be looking for? Oh, wow. Um, what, does your, what does your future baby and toddler well, and tween and teenager, what do they want? Maybe. Uh, I'm sorry? Not, non-abuse principle. Uh, follow it, for example. Uh, non-abuser? Yes, non-abusive. Oh, not, not use any wait, violence or so. Yeah, you know the kid would love that. Hang on, hang on. This is what you. This is what you come up with. <laughs> non-abuser. 
that's like girlfriend pulse. <laughs> I mean, sorry. I mean, non-abuser is not exactly a crowning virtue. I mean, I guess it's nice, necessary, but not sufficient. But what does your future kid want his or her mom to be like? Be caring. Ah, beautiful. Okay, okay, caring. Caring. Now, what does that mean? Loving, caring. Loving, um, caring. Empathetic? Yes. Empathetic, okay. A good teacher? I don't mean like school teacher, but like a good instructor. An instructor in virtue, an instructor in love, an instructor in closeness, an instructor in listening, uh, a good negotiator, right? Uh, uh, Somebody who's humble, uh, but somebody who, who is firm when she's in the right, but, but without being aggressive. Yes. Okay, see, see now we're starting to get more than, you know, I, I, don't give, I, I don't frankly think that your future kids are going to give one tiny rat's ass about which international causes the woman donated to 20 years ago, right? See, now we're starting to cook. Now, I would also argue that the things that make a woman a good mother are the things that make a woman a good partner. Yeah, uh, these points, well, very important, very valid. Um, I just sk- I just skipped them kind of subconsciously and just took them for granted. Oh, of no. course, it's going to be included uh, when you look. Um, I didn't actually think of them directly. Um, so, and so the question is, how do you find out whether the woman is caring, empathetic, a good negotiator, a good teacher, a gentle, calm, patient, uh, and so on? Uh, it's something you notice by um, being intimate with them. What do you mean by being intimate? Uh, you know, talking uh, or, you know, um, it be, being in their presence, uh, have, doing, having activities, um, you know, just anything that builds the relation between um, the two people. Right. Right. So the question now is, how uh, are you going to find that out about a woman that you're interested in? Because I want virtue to be the giant jugs on women these days. I want virtue to be the high heels, the Dolce and Gabbana. I want virtue to be the ass implants on women. Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, I want men to get as turned on by virtue as I am. You know, where, where the, the pullout in the magazine is not some, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to say it, some uh, naked woman, let's say. But instead is, you know, a, a, um, a thesis of the sensitivity and courage and compassion and humor of her heart. I want All women right. to be rewarded for being virtuous so that cosmopolitan and... Uh, I don't know what Marie Claire and other, they're not just about how to make yourself more physically attractive, but it's here's about, here's how to improve the quality of your heart so you can get the best man. Yeah. Because too many guys are letting the media plus the penis choose the partner. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not above this. I I get it. I'm not like a floating on Zen, you know, but you know, I don't care if the most virtuous heart is encased in a 19 year old Amazonian woman's 
shrunken chest. I'm still turned. I, I get this biological imperatives and all, but we're talking, you're 19, right? You're not going to be dating, like this isn't Harold and Maud territory. I can be dating some 80-year-olds, no. right? So I want men to be turned on by virtue in women so that women focus more on virtue than lipstick. Because lipstick does fuck all for the kids, but virtue will raise a generation of healthier, peaceful, voluntary, free children, which is my goal. I want to use your penis to produce rational people. But in order to do that, I need to have those future rational people choose who your penis hits. Point taken. All right. How are you going to find virtue? How are you going to measure virtue in a woman? Hmm. Well, I suppose you could ask them. Uh, no, 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 not to ask them. No, you just have to notice it by being going on a date with them, or you know, just talk to them. No, don't need to wait that long. Let me give, give you the first couple of sentences or, my wife and I maybe spoke just, to each other. Or, or, I got to say, right? I'll give you the first couple of sentences. I remember them very clearly. The first couple of sentences my wife and I said to each other. And uh, she is gorgeous. And anyway, but, but she, doesn't, she doesn't dress like she was wearing a T-shirt. She was, you know, I mean, when we met playing volleyball 13 or 14 years ago. Right. And... She doesn't play up her figure. She doesn't play her, up her looks. And uh, anyway, so she asked me, um, we'd been playing together on the team for a couple of weeks. And she asked me how, how my week was. And I said, oh, fantastic. I, I just got my first novel published. And she said, wow, that's, that's impressive. I've never known anyone who writes a novel. I'd like to have a look. Would you like me to have a look at it? Or would you mind if I had a look at it? And I said, no. No, in fact, that's the last thing that I'd want. I would never, ever want you to look at... I was just joking with her, and she said, oh, no, that reverse psychology won't work on me. I practice psychology. Which was, I mean, obviously, to me, delightful in that, you know, she, she was interested in what I had to say. She was curious to have a look at my book. And she also was very playful and assertive in her response to my making a joke which I found delightful and continue to find delightful even more so uh, many, many years later. Now, that doesn't have to go any particular way, but there are some things to look for that will really work. And, you know, w one of them, of course, is, for God's sakes, man, stop interviewing and be yourself. Be yourself. Because any relationship you enter into under false pretenses will burn you up and burn you out and exhaust you into ashes. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, so, so you have to be yourself because anybody who prefers who you're not is, the, first of all, false themselves and will never get into who you really are. So you're basically going to have yeah, to yeah. just pretend. Well, <coughs> Sure. It's like uh, it's like I, joining a sorority, right? You you can never pee standing up. If you're a guy, I, you join a sorority, you can never pee standing up again for the rest of your time there, right? Of Sorry, course, I'd like to show um, myself and be who I am, but you know, to be, I always had to be the the initiator so many times. You know, every time, always. 
you know, it's, it's going to go somewhere. I have to somehow initiate it and start. No, 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 you don't. Hey, look, first of all, I mean, I, I get that most guys ask women out. So, so I get all of that. I understand that. But the reality is that if you are always taking initiative, the only people will, you will find in your life are passive people. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. But all right, I so never, you I, are you are creating an environment that is only going to bring passive people into your life if you're doing all the pedaling, if you're doing all the pushing, and you're doing all you're pouring all the energy in. All you're going to get are passive people and parasites. All right, but I I I feel a need. To find, I feel a great need already uh, to, you know, find a, a great woman that uh, I can get in a stable relationship. But probably because I've never actually been in a long stable relationship, I've always been in the gray zone uh, at its uh, at best. Um, and I, I don't want to wait. Uh, you know, I've been trying for two years now, and but that's because you don't want anyone like your mom, right? Don't want anyone like my mom. Right. Hey, no, that's not true. Wait, no. so you do want someone like your mom? Yeah, she's a great woman. And she's, yeah, she, she's a Californian chick that my mom, my dad brought home like a Viking. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you do, you want someone like your mom, right? Yes. Yes. So then how, how on earth can this be so complicated? It, it's like you're saying to me, I don't know how to speak English, but I grew up in a family that spoke English, right? So how could this, if you want someone like your mom, then do what your dad did, take his advice, figure out, like talk with your mom. And, and I'm sure, I mean, so, so you've had 19 years of interacting with your mom. So find yes. someone you can interact with as easily as your mom. And I don't know why it's so complicated then. Like, I didn't want someone who was like my mom, so I had to do a lot of inventing the wheel and changing things around and turning around the super tanker, which, of course, is my nickname for my penis, but that's just another story, mostly because it leaks oil a lot. But um, And there's a strange affinity for coral reefs and drunken sea captains. Anyway, that's another story uh, entirely. Uh, yeah, but well, well, they but they I wanted someone these. different from my past, so I had to do a lot of reinvention. But if you want someone like your mom, then it should be a whole lot easier, I think, than it seems, right? No, because there isn't a whole lot, a lot. There's not a whole lot of people that are like my mom, at least not here. Well, but that's but, <laughs> but see, but see, that's why it should be even easier. That's why it should be even easier, because then you should be able to very quickly identify who's not like your mom, right? Right. So, in other words, if I'm looking for a needle in a haystack, then it's going to be pretty for me, easy for me to identify everything that's not a needle, right? Everything, yes. I don't have to date a, a piece of hay for three weeks to find out if it's a needle or not, right? Yeah. I just have to look at it or maybe touch it or whatever, right? But, but I don't have, like, it's, it's very easy then. It, I mean, not saying it's quick, right? It still may take me a long time to find the needle in the haystack, but it's not like I've got a ask all these questions, right? So it may be as simple as, you know, look for, I mean, and because there's this, there's this weird thing, right? And this sort of comes out of Freud, right? And, and the whole reasons for this, very, very quickly, so 
you know, Freud started looking into uh, dreams, the unconscious, and so on. Because when he was doing his early therapy sessions in the late 19th century, all these men and women were coming and saying, well, I, I'm raped as, I was raped as a child. I, you know, I've been sexually abused. Because it was apparently, well, it's endemic throughout human history, the sexual abuse of children. You can go to psychohistory.com for more on this. Sexual abuse of children, endemic throughout history. And then when Freud started to uncover the sexual abuse of children, he got a lot of threats from all the pedophiles in his sort of mm-hmm. late 19th century Viennese society. And so he changed his theory. He backed off his theory. He gave up. He betrayed the children. And what he said was, well, all these women who claim that they uh, were raped by their father uh, or their mother, like, so the girls who say, well, I was raped by my father, it kind of actually happened. So they must have fantasized it. And that's where the electric complex came out of that women, girls secretly want to have sex with their fathers or whatever. And for the boys who, have, who were raped or sexually molested by their mothers, he said, well, it can't really have happened. They must just have an unconscious desire to have sex with their own mothers. So when I say, well, look for a woman like your mom, people are like, oh, that's creepy. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not. If you have a mom who's a great partner, the, the whole point of, of sexuality in the tribe is to imprint upon what is sexually successful within the tribe. Your father was sexually successful by definition. Your mother was sexually successful by definition. And so doing what your father did to get a woman like your mother is exactly how sexuality should work if you have good relations with your mother and your father, in my opinion. And I think there's good reasons for that. So if you have someone that you know very well for 19 years who was, you know, sexually successful like your mom, who has qualities that you like and admire and and respect and, and she's virtuous and she's, you know, then find someone like your mom. That's not some weird Oedipal thing or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, if, you, if your dad is really great in business and you're starting a business, you talk to your dad, right? That's not yeah. an electra complex. That's like, well, that, that works, right? So well, are there just no women around like your mom at all? They're hard to find. Have um, you found uh, it? Well, yeah, I've been to, oh, well, uh, some, a few but, have um, you talked to uh, your dad about how he found your mom? Yes, I have actually. And what did um, he say? And well, the first thing he saw was not her face. <laughs> um, She's not a Kardashian, is she? Just kidding. Was, Go on. <laughs> from what I heard. Um, he first uh, saw her ass and, you know, walked up and started talking with her. And, uh, you know, it was, they, they, they had this, you, you said you had tennis, like you, you met through tennis uh, with your uh, tennis with your wife. Um, they met through a German uh, volleyball, course. Anyway, yeah. yeah. They went yeah, through what? German, they they the went German on a German course. course. Yeah. Right. Uh, abroad. So it was in Austria. But, um, you know, what really got them close was that she was running out of, she was running out of, uh, currency and at that time, and uh, he, you know, being a very tall, handsome guy to lean upon and, and it started, it turned out very well that when they started to, when they had, when they, they had this interest in each other, like, 
he thought he was she were really gorgeous and he well, hang on hang on money. hang on hang on hang on wait a second here <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just not able to connect these dots i am maybe my limitation so please bear with me so your father noticed your mom's ass first that's what i've heard and then that she was gorgeous and she needed money and he was tall and handsome yeah, I mean, and it they sounds were more like uh, something out of a Tennessee Williams play than yeah, well, and the, then uh, the virtuous connection play. Well, it turned out they were a very good fit uh, when they want when they once get to know each other. I'm sorry, was, they were very what? They were a very good fit once they get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And are you tall and handsome as well? Well, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I'm, you know, when it comes to the, the physical attraction scale, um, I'm, I'm, I'm one meter, 72 centimeters, so relatively tall, but, uh, not tall in my country. No, no, not, not, not that slightly below average in my country. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, physical, looks, physical I mean- yeah, and physical looks. Physical looks is uh, pretty, uh, pretty good. I have chestnut blonde long hair, like, and I have. Yeah, it's a pretty good face. Uh, and uh, this body figure. Oh, more Bruce, more Bruce Jenner than Kardashian. No, I'm just kidding. But go yeah, uh, body figure is. It's slightly overweight. Um, I have more of the like. Endomorph body figure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. But other than that, I've been hearing when uh, friends, when my friends ask me, like, uh, when, I, when I tell them, hey, you know, I've been dating this, this girl. So, like, they wonder, like, how the hell have you not been able to find a French uh, relationship when, when you've basically got it all you know you're a really great guy you have a big great big open heart um you are just a really how have you not been able to find a relationship when you're always dating you know always searching and okay you see so let me let me ask you sorry to interrupt let me ask you a question then so we came up with a list of virtues Caring, empathetic, yes. good teacher, good listener, um, yes, a patient and, and understanding and intelligent and all that, yeah. emotionally sensitive, um, assertive, and so on. How does your mother rate along this scale? Empathetic, um, caring, um, uh, slightly lacking in the intellect, um, not so much of a teacher or instruct um not a teacher or, or more of a um one you learn from not to say that she's unable to but it's you know lacking um more so dude do you know why i'm gonna stop you here i'm sorry to interrupt fine go ahead the first thing as far as I understand it, that you said at the beginning of the conversation, not directly, but indirectly, with the first thing that you try to figure out with a potential partner, a woman, is her interest in international causes and other things that would indicate 
higher intelligence or an interest in abstract reasoning and so on. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. So if you say that your mother is lacking in intellect, I'm not saying she's dumb or anything like that, but if you were to be your dad asking these questions of your mom that you're asking of these women now all those years ago, would you even be here? <laughs> huh. See, the reason I'm asking this is you say, well, I want someone just like my mom, but I'm asking kinds of questions that would have had my mom screaming for the hills if I'd met her 30 years ago. So which is it? If you want someone like your mom, then do what your dad did. But if you're asking these kinds of questions that would not be some, something that your mom would have responded to when she was a young woman, then you don't want someone like your mom, at least it's uh, your current state of mind. And I think it's that contradiction that is probably at the root of your lack of success in this area. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Let us say it together. Hmm. <laughs> but do, do you see what I'm getting at? I mean, you're a smart guy, right? This is pretty yeah. high-level stuff, but... Yes. Um, when, I, when I look for... A... When I look for women um, or some with potential partners, okay, um, you know, I always set some like these, um, have you know, have some standards like, uh, does she fulfill? Uh, I, I go, I'm, I'm studying to become a programmer, so it's, I think in programming terms, like, does she fulfill these requirements? Is she virtuous or is she uh, nice? Is she? Um, is she funny or like all of these things? And how, how well does she fulfill these different requirements? And um, maybe I, maybe I put. You, see, you just uh, dodge the whole mom thing like really well, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're going off into programming algorithm land, right? Yeah. So we just, we just drop the whole mom thing like a hot potato, right? Good job. Well played. <laughs> I thought we were playing basketball. Suddenly we're on the moon, right? I just find the dating difficult. And now, I, now you're dodging I, again. Now, now you're dodging again, man. You're dodging again. I'm not telling you you're wrong. Do you want someone like your mom? Then stop asking these questions that would have driven your mom away. If you don't want someone like your mom, that's fine too. But then figure out what you want. But right now... Mm. You're, you're, right now, you're basically showing up to a golf game with a tennis racket because you're saying, well, I want someone like my mom because I'll ask all these questions that never would have gotten me my mom if I were my dad. So your mind and your heart are in opposite directions, which means you're not going to have the consistency and solidity and essence of alphaness that is, you know, people, what's the alpha, the alpha, the alpha is not big chest thumping crap. Otherwise, I'd be telling people to go work out. I mean, work out fine, but the alpha is a minimum of contradictions. A minimum of contradictions. The real yeah. alpha is a maximum of self-knowledge because through self-knowledge, you eliminate contradictions. You resolve contradictions. You gain closure on contradictions. You're not at war with yourself. And when you are not at war with yourself, 
you are the ultimate alpha. Oh, now, wait, wait. So that's for good. That's for good and for evil, right? So, so Hitler took his weaknesses and projected them onto others, and then slaughtered them. All right. Well, so right. So, so hang on. So, so he was without contradictions in his public persona because he split and projected and attacked. So, being without contradictions can be evil too. But if you are not in alignment with yourself, if you are going one way, one way, one way, the other way, then you're like someone who's trying to do a bicep curl by flexing both the bicep and the tricep at the same time. It won't work. So if you want sexual success, you need to get in alignment with yourself. Now, it means that you want someone like your mom or you want someone who's not like... I don't mean the opposite of your mom. That's not necessarily true either. You want someone like your mom, then stop all of this crap that would have driven away your mom and do what your dad did. And then you'll be in alignment with that. But then you'll get someone like your mom. If that's what you want, be in alignment with that. Don't do all this other crap that you're doing. I don't mean that it's all crap, but it's crap relative to wanting someone like your mom who had a nice ass, is not super bright, and wanted money or needed money. And well, I'm, I'm not. That doesn't. That may sound insulting. I don't mean that to be insulting. No, yeah, I, no, I don't it's mean. Not. Yeah, I don't mean this it's, to be insulting. I'm simply pointing out. Yes. But but the, but if you want someone who's not like your mom, who's into all of these international causes and philosophy and and is right leaning and whatever it is, right? Then recognize that you want someone who's different from your mom, which is no disrespect to your mom. It just means that you know kids are different and you can have different preferences. I mean, I wanted something different from my mom because, or the opposite of my mom because of moral issues, you can want something different yeah. from your mom for non-moral issues to just particular preferences, right? You know, so so get it, in alignment with what you want yeah. because right now you're telling me one thing but you're doing another. What I'll I've shut up noticed, now, but, but don't, just don't, just deal with this what I'm saying. Just don't take me yeah, off yeah, on another yeah. tangent. I'll be happy. When I search for a relationship, I want to feel equality and and one thing that I want to feel equal, equal to was to on, a, on an intellectual level, but I'm not so sure anymore. Do you feel that with your mom, that you're equal on an intellectual level? No. And that's, that's good. I mean, that's a good thing to know. It's a great thing to admit. And again, there's no disrespect to anyone in the, in the family. But it's, so, it's a re- so you do want something that's different from your mom. I guess so, yeah. Yes. She, yes, she's great and is was a great fit for my dad, but I yeah, I want to feel I want to find a partner that I can feel intellectually equal on. Um which you know Which means both teaching and learning, right? And in there's no such thing as intellectual equality, just by the by. I mean I just I really want to be clear about that. Like okay, so. you can be the no listen you can be the two best golfers in the world is it always going to be a stalemate are you always going to get exactly the same score No not at all No pretty much I mean you will occasionally but pretty much one if you's going to win and then the other one's going to win and then you know it's going to even out cuz you're both of equal but they're not I mean they can they're not equal because one of them is going to win and one of them's going to lose it's going to alternate but what that means is that they can continue to learn from each other. You learn by dealing with the best. You learn by competing with the best. 
which is why I, I set my sights incredibly high because I want to achieve the very best that I can achieve. And I'm not going to get that by aiming at the middle. I aim to take on the greats in philosophy. I don't aim to do better than Dear Abby. No disrespect to Dear Abby, but you know what I mean, right? I do. So, so if you want someone who's intellectually equal, it means that you have to be willing to submit to her expertise. And she will then submit to your expertise. And that submission sounds bad, you know, like dominance and submission. But it's not. It doesn't. You, you, you gain power through submission. Like if you want to build a bridge, submit to physics and engineering and you'll get the bridge. If you don't, you'll get God knows what, right? So if you're going to look for an intellectual equal, look at someone who's superior. Within about 10 or 15 seconds of me talking to my wife, she had won. She had correctly identified that I was making a joke using reverse psychology, and she told me that wasn't going to work because she had superior knowledge, infinitely superior to knowledge to me almost, in the area because that's her field, right? And so, yes. so she was in charge. She was, quote, the dominant one in that interaction. Hmm. And I was delighted to submit to her expertise and, and happy to receive the instruction and delighted that she won up to me and, and did it beautifully. And, you know, that, that sense of humor, that assertiveness, and that has all been a delightful part of who she is ever since. And so well, I know what you mean. Like intellectual equals, I completely get that. And I'm, but, but that involves 50% submission, <laughs> right? Does yeah, that make sense? Well, like if it to, the two best golfers is going to be 50% losing. It's just that that's the lowest. That's the yeah, lowest. Yeah. That that the, that's the highest losing they'll get, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love because to everyone get else my... they're going to win ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, so, so th this is the this is the lowest winning they could possibly get, and the highest losing they could possibly get with each other, and that's what it means to be in a relationship of equals. That it's it's the most submission that you can achieve. Yeah, but that that you can both achieve. Yeah, but, but then it's just it's down to a very small. No, but do, like, nah, let me tell you why. And before you rush off on your fucking intellectual jetpack, right? The reason I'm saying this is you you keep telling me basically that you have to initiate and you want to be in charge and you want to drive the yes. conversation and you're interviewing people and you're trying to figure out you're a dominant, right? Yes. And you say you want an equal. Right? Yeah, I do. But you can't be dominant and want an equal. This is what I'm this is why it's not working for you, my friend. I speak for your penis. <laughs> I speak for your seed. Right? It's not is your father dominant and more assertive with your mom? Is he running the conversation? I don't mean is he a bully. I don't mean anything like that. Oh, Does no, he no. take more initiative? Does he kind of make call the shot, so to speak? He um, he's and the it's first not one a positive or negative. He, 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 he's the first to bring the ideas to the table to be discussed. He takes more so, initiative. He takes yes. more initiative. Is that a, I, I don't want because I don't want to frame it in a negative way. I, I'm really not no. trying to do that. So, so he's a little bit more dominant. He's a bit more assertive. He's a bit more uh, initiate. He initiates more, right? 
Yes. Okay. So if this is the habit that you've got from your mom, and this is where, sorry, from your dad, then this is the challenge, right? So you've got these habits from your dad, which is okay. take initiative, I, take charge, frame the conversation, you know, uh, but at the same time you say, well, but I don't want someone like my mom. I want an intellectual equal. I, but that, I that doesn't work. That approach will not work. All right. To get you an intellectual equal, right? I follow do, do, my... Do you, un you understand what I'm saying, right? I do. And I'd like to add that I follow my dad's footsteps very closely. You know, I have... I want to be like and my get dad. Get ready for mom Mark II, <laughs> right? But if you don't want mom Mark II, then you have to change your approach, right? Because you're right. doing what got your dad your mom. But you don't want someone... And I'm, like your mom, in, in, or at least you want some of the good aspects, but there's other things that you want as well, right? And so if you don't know sense. all of that, yeah, if you don't know all of that, then you're, it's like you're practicing, again, I hate using all these mixed metaphors, but it's like you're practicing a tennis serve while holding a golf club. All like, right. it's, that's great for tennis, but you're holding a golf club. And if you're playing golf, there's no serving in golf, right? At least I've never yeah. seen it. So, Okay. And um it's just that I I it may be a little now off the track, but I would expect nothing less from redirector bot, but anyway, go on. <laughs> you you Stefan, you dated for a long time yourself, right? You Yes. And it took that time until you found, you know, your match, you know, your future equal, your partner. Yeah. And did you not struggle, uh, you know, like question yourself or like have, you know, struggle on an emotional level? It's like I fail you know, that you fail repeatedly to find a great woman and. No, I, I was no. Listen, man, I was so clueless. I wasn't even in the realm of failure. You know, it's it's like it's like watching a like uh, watching me date was like watching a two year old attempting to stack blocks on each other and saying he's failing to build a building. No, I, I wasn't even competent enough to be in the realm of failure. This is partly why I talk about this kind of stuff on this show is, you know, empathy for the kind of instruction that I sure as hell wished that I had received when I was younger. So, but I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Very, very important part of life. I was just thinking about this today, coincidentally. So I'm, I'm not trying to chewhorn this in, but this is very important, I think. I hope. So, I was uh, watching some snowboarders today. You, you know what that is, right? Snowboarders? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where you come from in the world. or you know, uh, Then don't tell me. I just, do you know what? It's like skateboard. No. It's, like a, it's like a giant skateboard without wheels on snow. Oh, yeah. I do and it's, 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 a way for, it's a way for young people to say, my bones knit easily. And certainly more easier than you middle-aged people who ski, right? All right. Gotcha. And, so, and, and so snowboarding, they, 
they do this. I mean, they do this half pipes and all this kind of stuff, but there's this like this gully, this bowl. It's like half a. It's like half a tube. I mean, it's like a sewage pipe or a tube, and you cut the top half off, you fill it with snow. So they do all that kind of crap, right? And they do this thing where they, they go up and they, they go sideways on pipes. And then they go down. And it's sort of like when I watch skateboarders from time to time as well. It's really stupid stuff. And don't, I mean, I like stupid human tricks. I mean, I, I think it's cool that people can do like triple flips when they go skiing and shit like that. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not hating on it or anything like that. But it's really, you know, compared to philosophy and virtue and being a good human being, it's pretty stupid shit. And I was watching these guys that they go across this this pipe and then they go down. And it's like watching these goddamn... <laughs> oh, people are going to hate me for this. But so what? This, I'm just telling you what I'm not trying to give you any philosophical arguments. I'm just giving you a perspective. And it it's like watching those kids with the skateboards, you know? I want to be able to rotate it three times and then come down on the top. Why? Why? Come on, there's great books to read. You could go write a haiku. You could learn a language. You play guitar. Like, oh, look, I've, you know, I go up on the curb, it flips two times. If I can do it three times, that's better. And it's like the Rubik's Cube guys when I was a kid. Look, I can solve the Rubik's Cube. But look, I'll just take the labels off, man. Like, like <laughs> I mean, it's stupid shit. It really is. And so much of life, we, we go in, in pursuit of this unbelievably stupid stuff. And and we all have this fantasy, right? Like you see these spy movies, right? And the spy, and and the spy in the spy movies is like this annoying fucking know-it-all, right? Because he's like, aha, we parachute. I'm an expert parachuter. I can land directly on this jet ski. I can go the jet ski at Mach 12, and I can circumnavigate all of these rocks, and I can use it to jump up on the pier, and then I land on a motorcycle. And wouldn't you know it? I'm an expert motorcyclist. And then I stop at a, <laughs> at a Parisian restaurant, and I order my meal in fluent French. And then, you know, like, it turns out <laughs> that we have to run into ahead. a Cessna. Yeah, and then I have to. We have to go into a Cessna, and don't you know? I can blindfold myself and still fly a plane simply by using sonar to figure out the precision of the instruments and where they actually are. And then it turns out that I'm an expert scuba diver who can wrestle a shark, and you know, like all this kind of stuff, right? And we all have this fantasy that, you know, well, I'm on this date, you see, and uh, we go to this bar, and uh, there are these tough guys playing pool. And she's like, I'd like to play some pool. <laughs> and you put your money down on the pool table. And then you basically say, it's all right, boys. If I get to go first, you won't even need to pick up your cues. And you break. And then you put all of the balls into the pockets, one after another, and everyone's jaw drops. And you're Tom Cruise in that stupid movie about pool. <laughs> Look, it's exciting. The balls are moving. It's a different kind of movie that's exciting. And... We all have this fantasy that everything we do, and then it's karaoke night. And wouldn't you know, I go up and do a fantastic Frank Sinatra, and it turns out someone has a guitar, and then I do Stairway to Heaven, and I sound great, and I look great, and next thing you know, you know, like, just really great. And it's just incredible, like, in the, in the book, uh, which is basically a, 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 a graphic novel, a, a pop-up book of 
really bad porn, Fifty Shades of Grey. And this guy, a Christian, I think his name is, um, just to bring in the Catholic girls. But this guy is like, he's really rich. He's a really successful businessman. He plays piano beautifully. He's really great at sex. He has a six pack. It's like, pick one, man. Come on. <laughs> if you want to be really great at business, you're not doing sit-ups. You know, if, if you're really great at piano, you can't also be really great at everything else because piano costs time and most people have to sleep. And so the reason I'm saying all of this is that when you look at what people are good at, this is economics. The economic, economics of human expertise is really important to understand. If someone pulls out a guitar... There was a guy I knew as a teenager. He could pull out a guitar. He was a complete Springsteen freak. And he could just play everything that Springsteen had ever written. And, you know, all associated Springsteen clones, you know, like Fogarty and all this kind of stuff and, and all that. And he could just play that stuff, that middle America, depressed, um, anxious, nihilistic rock. And... Everyone was like, wow, it's so cool that he could do all this great guitar stuff. And I did think it was cool. Don't get me wrong. But what I also saw was all the books he hadn't read. Like, everyone's like, that's great guitar. And I'm like, he's functionally illiterate. <laughs> and I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. And the reason I know that is because I spent most of my teenage years playing sports and reading books. And not learning guitar. And so I can play like two songs on a guitar but I've read a lot of books. But people don't look at my book reading and say, wow, great use of time. Because nobody sits there and says, hey man, yeah. read us some Dostoevsky at a party. Everyone's like, oh, you can play guitar? Cool. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just when you see something that someone's good at, the important thing to know is what's missing from that person. Or somebody in the chat room said, like role-playing games, your stats can't all be maxed out. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, then it's, bo it's boring, right? Uh, and 18, uh, 1, 100 of strength, 18 slash 100 strength, right? And 18, 19 wisdom, because I'm a great cleric. And 22 intelligence, because I'm a great wizard. And uh, dexterity of 4,000, because I'm a great thief. And, right? Constitution, because I'm a dwarf who's made of iron. Whatever, right? So... The, the reason that I'm saying all of this is that, you know, skills are like government programs. Talents and visible abilities are like government programs. The point of government programs is to give you this visible benefit and have you ignore the hidden cost. And the point of obvious skills is to have you focus on a general perception of excellence but every 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 concentrated skill is the shadow cast by diffuse incompetence everything you focus on everything you study everything you become great at is a giant wall blocking the light out from any other plant you might have grown everything you're really great at is a direct marker of all the things you suck at because you're really great at something. Saying yes to something means saying no to everything else. Exactly. Exactly. And we look at this competence and we think, wow, oh, that guy, he's really great at guitar. What a great guy. It's like, no, 
there's nothing wrong with being really great at I'm not I'm not arguing against excellence here. I'm not arguing against being great at stuff. I've put 40,000 hours into philosophy. Do you know what that means? I suck at so much. It's ridiculous. I suck at so much. It's ridiculous. I'm terrible. Like at, at university, I would go to the library and I would read. Do you know what that meant? That meant I sucked at beer pong. I just didn't get those skills. I am not a pickup artist. Because, I, you know, now, not that I ever would be again, but that was never my thing. I never wanted to manipulate women that way. Because I just don't like people having power over me. And to manipulate someone is to act with the reality that they have power over you. The slave manipulates. The master commands. The manipulation is a sign of weakness. I don't want a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Go for strength. So, your father is good at attracting women like your mom. And if you want a woman like your mom, then act like your dad. If you want to switch it up a little bit from who, who your mom is, no disrespect, nothing negative. Right? It's not like she set fire to your kitties or anything, right? So, but if you want to mix it up, then you're going to have to step into the world of incompetence. Because you have 19 years of training on how to act like your dad. And 19 years of training on how to inter- interact with women like your mom. Right? Mm. Now, right. if you want something different... then you're going to have to step out of that which is comfortable. (laughs) And you are going to have to step out of that in which you are competent. Because competence will only get you the results of whoever taught you to be competent in. All right. Well, so I have to get my fancy pants on and be be Elvis or what? <laughs> really? Are you just no, trying to no, annoy no. me now? Come on, I no, give no. you a speech like that and you're giving me something slightly mocky, slightly snarky? Okay, sorry. Um, no, that was your dad, right? That was me. No, because I was saying you need to do something different than your dad did and I got something snarky back and I assumed that would be coming from your inner dad. Because if you, look, if you choose someone different from your mom, how's your dad going to feel? Surprised. And? I'm not sure if he would feel disappointed, but... I don't think disappointed. No. Do you think it's a better relationship? to be with an intellectual equal? That's what it feels like. That's what it's leaning right. towards. I think, I think there's a case to be made for it. I, I certainly wouldn't choose intellectual equality over virtue. But if you could, like, if your choice is between virtue 
and you're superior intellectually or virtue and you're equal intellectually, I think that it's better, isn't it, to go with to someone... To prioritize virtue, it's... Well, but, to, yeah, the virtue is equal, but if... if I'm, I'm not trying to guess your mom's IQ, but let's say you can have a virtuous woman with an IQ of 95, you can have a virtuous woman with an IQ of 150. And let's say your IQ is high, right? If your IQ is high, then wouldn't you want someone as smart as you? In other words, if you really really want to have a good game of tennis, then don't you want to play with someone if you're really good? Don't you want to play with someone? That you can have a challenge with. Yeah. Yeah. That that you you lose half the time, (laughs) right? Because that's winning. Losing half the time in a relationship is winning. It's growth. Right, the two best tennis players, if they lose to each other half the time, they're getting way better than if they were winning 99% of the time. In relationships, losing is winning if both people do it equally. So your father, by not having an intellectual equal, if that's this, the constellation of the marriage, it's not a moral issue. It's not a moral issue. But... He is not as excellent a person as he could be if he had an intellectual equal. Now, if he had an intellectual superior, then the roles would be reversed and indeed, it wouldn't be optimum either, right? No. And, and the reason, I mean, it's all, it's all complicated stuff and I'm sorry to be like, firing the hose of info at you. But um, my daughter's just started playing cards. And um, she asked me if I played cards when I was a kid. And I said, yeah. And, and uh, did you like it? Yeah, sometimes. And she said, did you win a lot? And I said, no. And she said, well, how come? And I said, well, you know, I played a lot with my brother. My brother was older. And my brother was pretty competitive and always wanted to win. Now, when you're a couple of years older, it's not that hard to win, right? Now, when you're teaching your kids something, like when I was, um, my daughter loves to run, so when we were having running races, I was a runner when I was younger, a cross-country runner. And um, we have running races, then I run fast enough that it's work for her to beat me, but I don't go full out and it's like, Eat my dust, six-year-old. You know, that would be, to me, kind of a dick move, right? So I, I wanted to be challenging for her so I don't, like, walk because then it's not a race. But I also don't want to go as fast as I could possibly go because like, I'm almost six foot tall. I mean, it's just not fair, right? Indeed. And so that where you're running neck and neck is where you go the fastest. In fact, they've done studies where they get bicyclists to, to race around a particular track. Uh, they're on bike machines or whatever, and they're, they're pretending to race around a particular track. And they, they have them do it, I don't know, 10 times, the fastest they can possibly do it. And then what they do is they subtly change the algorithm so that it appears that they were going even faster. 
And then they say, can, you know, can you beat your time? And they say, oh, no, that was the fastest I could possibly do. And then they play it back. And it's true. They can't beat the time. But the time was sped up and they end up beating the real time because the pretend time was sped up like 10%. And they end up being 5% slower, which was actually their prediction. I can't beat my fastest time. But they were still 5% faster than the actual time. Perception of victory, perception of loss is in many cases and in many instances reality of victory and reality of loss. When people compete against themselves, even if they think they're losing, they can still win. That's how neck and neck makes things better. And people say, well, what if there's a dominant company in an industry? Then that industry will die. It will die because there's no neck and neck. There's no neck and neck in that industry. The industry flourishes when it's neck and neck. Human beings accelerate when they're neck and neck. If somebody just beats you, you lose motivation. If you just beat someone, you get bored. Neck and neck is the definition of excellence. And I'm not a big fetishist for excellence. I'm just simply pointing it out. That if you do want the highest quality in your relationships, if you want the greatest excellence, then you want an equal, which means you want to lose half the time. You want to be beaten half the time. You want to be vanquished and instructed half the time. And if your dad didn't want that, and you do, then he is going to, I'm guessing, I don't know your dad, I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes, then he is going to experience that you have more confidence than he does or you're less shallow than he is or whatever it is. It's going to be a challenge and it's not a bad thing because, I mean, we can't simply photocopy everyone who went before us for fear that any different decisions we make might be looked at askance. Well, there would be no developments, no. There'd be no development. My dad did not know fire. Put the magic burning tongues of light out. (laughs) Because he'd be upset he ate all his meat cold, right? Yeah. My my daughter is not going to have to wait till she's in her 30s to get married if she wants to get married because she won't be like Jesus in the desert of dead pussies for <laughs> like I was in my 20s, right? Because she just, she won't be born in the jungle and have to find her way to civilization. And that's going to be painful to me in the same way that her easy confidence in disagreeing with me is great. I love it. But I also recognize that there's great pain in familial progress because it's sad for me that she can so easily disagree with me and so assertively hold her ground in the face of disagreement It's not like we have a lot, but, you know, we do. And that she is so relentlessly unafraid of me is sad for me. Because I would love to have met the person I could have been had I grown up without fear. That would have been an amazing experience which will never happen because I will never have grown up without fear. 
in the way that my daughter grows up without fear. Hmm. And so in all progress, there is pain. Of course there is. I mean, people pour heart and, heart and soul into developing a horse and carriage business and then some jerkwad invents the car. And all of that money evaporates and all the people who shoveled the shit off the streets of the cities now have to go pump gas. Well, maybe that's a, maybe that's a step up. I'm sure it is, right? But um, So if you're going to make decisions that are different from your parents, again, I'm not saying this is any fundamental moral decision, The, the, and and, and this is an extreme parents. I'll shut up in a sec and I apologize for going on so long but this is an extreme way of putting it but the man who is a janitor whose son becomes a professor it's bittersweet no one can tell me that it's nothing but happy pride The man who takes the easy road gains benefits in the short run. The man who takes the hard road often gains benefits in the long run. And what happens is the man who took the easy road, his benefits are long gone by the time the benefits to the man who takes the hard road rolls around. And so at the beginning, the man who takes the hard road envies the other man. Later on, the man who takes the easy road envies the other man. If you go for intellectual equal, then it may be it may be a little bit tougher at the beginning. I don't think it's yeah. true, but it could be. Because the difference is that I was older than you, right? So you, you find someone tomorrow who's an intellectual equal, who can converse with you at this level, who can, you know, like the, the thought that I've brought to you today about your mom yes. and intellectual equals and so on, these are the kinds of conversations you should be having every day. Oh, yeah, I would love to. Right. I know you would. I know you would. So when are you going to ask me out, you chicken? I'm kidding. But... But I know you, and why not? Why not aim for that? But that is going to be a challenge. It's going to be disorienting sometimes. And somebody yeah. with that, you know, if you date a woman with this level of of sensitivity, of curiosity, of insight, and so on, it's going to be bittersweet to your dad. This is why you're torn. There's something that you want, but you have a template, which if you go for what you want... It will be discombobulating to some degree to your parents. And so there is a commandment to do it from your heart, and there's a restraint from doing it from your parents. And I'm not saying consciously. I don't mean this maliciously on their part or anything like that, but it's really important to be aware of it, in my opinion. So a bumpy road. Not necessarily. I think that the, I mean, loneliness and, and a lack of self-knowledge would be the real bumpy road. Well, yeah, that's not something I like, at least now. Right. All right. Um, yeah, yes, th this makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I've been... 
I haven't noticed it until now you're you're really talking on it on a deep level that I I have a need for a relationship, but I want someone. You know, I want the 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 best, you know, almost not, not necessarily the best, but you know, the, the, um, an equal. And yeah, it's oh man, it's it's a lot of it's a lot to take in. It's because it this, but this is the level. This is the level, in my opinion, that you need to be working at in order to meet your heart's desire. You got to go deep because you got to be comfortable with deep when you meet a deep person, which is where love lives. True. Wow. Um, how long did you date? My wife? No, um, before. Uh, how long? How long did it take I mean, until a long you found? Time. How, long. how long did it take? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I I can't remember. I mean, it was. I met my wife in my mid-30s, and I've been dating since my mid-teens, so, yeah, a long time. And had society even given a shit about the hearts of men, then there would have been more instruction on how men could find great women who were out there and are as frustrated with society as the MGTOWs and the men are. There are great women out there who are incredibly frustrated at the way society makes us all relentlessly shallow and fundamentally sociopathic, it's tits, not heart, that counts, right? It's ass, not heart, that counts, right? Boobs, not brains. And the relentless shallowing out and easy physical stimuli is a drug that is regularly applied to the male penis, which blinds it to virtue. But it took you so long because you were not as prepared as, uh, let's say, let's, say for me uh, like I am now um, well I, I hope so I mean look I, I, I try as best I can and and to put out to men and to women what I think philosophically makes for a great relationship I've seen both sides of the coin of a great relationship with my wife and had more physically based relationships in the past. And man, I mean, if I could go back, I mean, I I wouldn't want my life to be different than it is now, but that doesn't mean that other people have to suffer through what I suffered through. You know, I'm like the Marlboro man who's dying of lung cancer saying, don't smoke. It's one of the the reasons why I just keep listening to your show because I want to prepare myself for adulthood for the great decisions in my life so that I don't have to go through what a lot of other people had to, but they wish they didn't. Right. Right. And I want, um, in particular, I want men to, to keep their hearts as pure as possible for the great women. Because, you know, when you are with dangerous women, when you are with harmful women, when you're with shallow women, when you're exploitive women, when you're with heart pergamy based life forms, 
it scars you. It makes you wounded. It makes you fearful. It makes you nervous. It makes you untrusting and untrustworthy in a way. And, you know, there's lots of complaints. There's lots of complaints from men around, and I get, and I really understand, there's lots of complaints of men around saying basically, you know, like 80% of the sex is achieved by like 5 or 10% of the guys. And I guess it's what, 90% or 10% about it, right? And so these nice guys um, who don't have all of these, you know, hotty body, six-packy, flowing hair, whatever looks, right? Tall in particular. We'll do a whole show on height prejudice, um, which is one of the most blatant and horrible forms of discrimination in the world today. But anyway, um, guys get really frustrated because they try to date these girls and these girls are just going for these shallow, good-looking idiots. Indeed. And and, and this all the way through their 20s and then the, the women panic and then when they get older and less attractive and more and they're more neurotic and they might have STDs, they're like, okay, I'll date you now, right? And the guys yeah. are like, no, I don't really want sloppy seconds from a whole daisy chain of alpha shallow cum dumpsters. No, thank you. And there's a lot yeah. of, but, but look, it goes both ways. It got guys who get their hearts ripped out by some haughty vampire, you know, are, are slim pickings for the good women as well. And so it just, just as men are frustrated that women go for looks, women, good women are frustrated that men go for looks. And again, having good looks is not a bad thing. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? But in our current culture, you know, like too much sugar leads to diabetes, which can lead to blindness. And too much focus on physical attraction leads to a spiritual sickness that renders you blind to virtue. And health is great. Exercise is great. And I wouldn't want to be with a woman who couldn't go snowshoeing because she'd have a heart attack or something. It's just I like to be active. Yes. But um, don't, you know, be, be careful. Guard your heart. Guard your sense of safety. Guard your vulnerability. Guard your open-heartedness. Because mm-hmm. speaking on a ridiculously vain behalf of the world's future children. You know, the future children of the world would say, we need our father's heart to be open. We need our father's heart to be capable of love. We need our father's heart to be vulnerable. And if we are throwing ourselves against the brittle, dangerous, diamond-edged, jagged pill of a woman's mere physical attractiveness, then we are putting our most sensitive organ into the world's harshest blender, which is our heart, into the cruel hands of cruel people. So this is why I urge, focus on virtue, focus on virtue. Hey, if it comes in hearty package too, great, so much the better. There's icing on your cake. But don't go for anything but the cake. Thank you, Stefan. That's what I needed to hear. All right. Well, let us know how it goes, and uh, you know if you get to a therapist, so uh, that would be again a good recommendation for me. Um, and again, therapy not because you're smashed up and broken, but because you want to do something different. You know, last last analogy, yeah. right? Last. So, if if my dad is a championship tennis player, and I want to play tennis, I don't need an outside coach because I'm doing that which my family already has expertise in, right? 
However, if my dad is a couch potato and I want to become an expert tennis player, he can't teach me because I'm doing something different than what my dad does. Indeed. Right, if he wants to teach me how to use a dust butter, dust buster to hoover chip dip out of my belly button, I guess I'm set. But if I actually want something else, then I'm not. So mm. when you want to do something different from what your parents have given you, this is not a moral judgment, then an outside expert who's got more experience in those sorts of things is important, whether it's choosing someone not exactly the same as your mom or whether it's becoming an expert tennis player. So I hope that helps. All right. All right. This is, um, all right. This is great. Okay. Fantastic. And thank you again for, you know, being open-hearted in this call. You've got a lot to offer a partner, man. I'm telling you that you've got a lot to offer a partner. I mean, your sensitivity, your intelligence, your open-heartedness is really admirable. And, uh, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. That's actually why I'm starting to question why I haven't found anyone yet. Uh, which is which led me to asking this question in the first place. Right, right. Well, hopefully this helps. And uh, keep us posted. Many of my friends would like to hear this as well. Well, I, you know, I, uh, you know, it's that, I, I always love that bit in the Bob Marley song, which I said before, it's like, I'm playing for mankind. You know, he's he, he was, that was his thing. He was playing for mankind. And I want this to go as wide as possible, I'm happy that we're hitting three, four, five hundred thousand people, but let's do three or four or five hundred million. So I'm trying to make it as as general uh, as right. possible without, at the same time, not dealing with your. Like I want to make sure I'm dealing with your stuff, but making it as general to be useful to others. So that's the time. Okay. Anyway, let's move on to the next caller. But thanks very much for your calling. Bye. All right. Thank you, David. All right. Up next is Laurent. He wrote in and said, what sense does it make to use the word community? In a recent video about Christians and Marxists, I was slightly offended by the connection made between atheist community and leftist. Why is it important to group people by a single trait? Why is it important to group people by a single trait? Um, okay, go, go on. Uh, I've, I've got some thoughts, but I want to make sure that um, um, that I'm following what you're saying. Okay, uh, this is not like the most deep question I could have thought of, but uh, I, I was making a parallel between you talk about uh, atheists and Marxists and everything in that video, and uh, many debates I've watched uh, involving uh, you know theists and people like Dawkins or uh, Ron Scrawls and other people, and then. It only comes up the debate about morality and that the theists have like the, this unmovable reference for morality. And then they talk about the atheist community as being the immoral one. That's just an example. As being That's the what? The immoral community, that, you know, the people who are allowed to do anything because they have no moral standard or no, no reference, no solid reference for morality. Right. But but what I was getting to is that um, I know that you didn't imply that kind of things. But in general, when in any kind of discussion on this show or at the dinner table or anywhere, people seem always eager to group other people by fixed groups. Like they are, they are the, the atheists, the leftists, the, the this and the that, and. Um, 
I don't understand why it's so important to group people because in these groups, anyway, there are million people who are not at all connected over by this single thing, like for example, atheism or I don't know what, tennis playing, for example, you know? So I don't Okay. Really, I, I mean, really I'll just, I'll tell you what is annoying to me, and I don't mean anything negative about this, I'm just sort of sharing my experience, mm-hmm. is when somebody says, well, why is it important to do this? That, to me, is not a very helpful way of putting it. Right? Because the question isn't whether it's important or not. The question is, is there accuracy or not? Yes. Yes, exactly. Right? So if I were to say Democrats are more in favor of social spending than Republicans, would you consider that an accurate statement? Yes, probably. But the thing wait, is wait, no, no, hang on. What do you mean probably? What do you mean probably? Uh, you I mean that it's not if, true? If we, if we, if we talk uh, Democrats, well, I'm not from the U.S., so I don't really understand. Okay, this. let's put it this way. If we, if we say socialists are more in favor yes. of but social spending than libertarians are, government social spending, would that be an accurate statement? Yes. In general? Okay. Yes. So... If you were to replace the word accurate with important, how does that help at all? The question isn't, is it important to group people by like characteristics? The question is, can it be done accurately? Now, if it can be done accurately, then you can say, well, I think it's true, but it's not particularly important. Yeah, now, because- but but you're, you're starting with, is it important, not is it true? And those two are not, not the same. So the question is, with regards to atheists, just to take the example that you've cited for me, so I, you know, for those who don't know, uh, I have pointed out that there does seem to be a tendency, it's not 100%, but there does seem to be a tendency for atheists to be more on the socialist side of the spectrum. And for religious people, in particular for uh, Christians in America, I'm not talking about Zoroastrians or Muslims or whatever, but certainly in America, there is a tendency more for Christians to be for smaller government and for atheists to be for a larger government or at least a large government. Now, the question isn't, is that important? The question is, is it accurate? And I think if you look at the average Republican, they tend to be more religious than Democrats and they tend to be for smaller government, whereas Democrats tend to be more atheist agnostic and tend to be for larger government. I think it is an accurate statement, and if it is an accurate statement about some very powerful thoughts about authority and control within society, saying it's not important is ridiculous, right? Now, you can tell me that you don't think it's accurate, and you can cite me statistics or arguments as to why it's Uh not accurate, but don't start off by telling me it's not important, because it damn well is. It may, it may be a- inaccurate, but it is important to know that if you take away God, then you replace God with the state in general. That is very important. If yes. you take away the state, then you replace it with God because people are raised to be submissive and they're going to submit to either God or the state or both. It mm-hmm. certainly is important. Now, you can certainly argue the accuracy, but I don't think it's fair to say why is it important. Yes, we could say that, 
about almost any group of people. I mean by that that could say what? Have, Hang on, don't be specific. Could say what about what? If, uh, what I was trying to. My first language is English, so I'm sorry if I'm having difficulty in uh, saying what I mean. Um, if you take the artists, or if you take the, the professional, the people who play, who, who are sports, who play sports, or I don't know, any kind of people, who, the chess players, my, my, so this isn't going to be very accurate, but my prediction is that you should call these people and ask them what they think about the state. Like the majority of any group will be more socialist than not. Well, no, I wouldn't say that's true. Because, for instance, in Canada, a significant proportion, if not most artists, gain their living directly or indirectly through the state. Mm -hmm. Right? So, we have the discipline of economics to tell us that people follow incentives. No matter what they say, for the vast majority of human beings, they're following their own petty, personal, short-term self-interest. Mm -hmm. And so if people are paid by the state, they are not going to be anti-state, at least not in any fundamental way. They may be anti-current state because they want to replace it with a more powerful state of communism or whatever, more extreme socialism. But they're not going to be anti-state. And so uh, if you look at a group, if you, just, if you looked at a group of artists in a purely free market, well, okay, I would agree with you that you, could, you can't say much about the philosophical leanings of people in a free market, in a non-philosophical group. Like in a free market, if the, all the people in the socialist club, we can assume are socialists, right? Or at least interested in socialism or that way inclined. But if you were to say, what are the political, in a free society, if you were to say, what are the political beliefs of bricklayers? I don't think you could really make a coherent answer to that. Of course. But if, if you were to say, what are the political beliefs of bricklayers who are all paid by the government? I think you'd say, well, they're pretty big on government spending and they're pretty big on getting their paycheck because most people are pretty big on getting their paycheck which is why people like <clears throat> single moms in America overwhelmingly vote Democrat and married women vote Republican because single moms get money from the government and married women's husbands pay money to the government. I mean, married women do too, but usually not to the same degree. So that's just pure self-interest. 95% of blacks vote for Obama. Is it because they really believe in his policies? No. They're just voting for who's in their tribe, which God help you if you're a white person to do it. I voted for him because he's white. You racist. I voted for him because he's black. Well, that's empowered. Oh, goody, goody. Look at these objective standards we're all living under. And so um, in, in, in Canada, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a single anarcho-communist professor. Oh, sorry, anarcho-capitalist. Probably is a couple of anarcho-communists. I don't think there's a single anarcho-capitalist professor in Canada. I, I mean, yeah, that I've heard of. I could be wrong, and people could certainly correct me on that, but 
It's certainly rare. I certainly know of at least half a dozen in the United States. And sure. uh, so these are just, you know, where people's group is defined by a particular self-interest, it's not unreasonable to assume that people are following that self-interest. So if uh, there's a, a union of Canadian artists and the vast majority of the Canadian artists get paid by the state directly or indirectly, I can guarantee you that that union will never be lobbying to reduce government spending for the arts. It just won't be happening. Any more than the teachers' union is going to be very keen on privatizing government schools. Right? That, that's not inaccurate, neither is it unimportant. Does that make sense? It does. But where I, where I was coming from was the, my, just my personal experience. I didn't try to find out any statistics or anything like that. And from my experience, I've been like navigating in various communities, we may say so, for, for, for decades. And for example, I have never met a software engineer who is not pro-state. I have never met uh, a heavy metal music musician, not even professional, but just a guy who is not who is uh, not pro-state. I have ne never met a chess player because that's something I like too. And who is not pro-state? Actually, I only knew I only know of two people in my entire existence who share this kind of uh, anti-state ideas. And, and sorry to interrupt you, but, but the reason for that, of course, is that we're generally all raised in government schools or exactly. we're raised in schools that have to follow a government curriculum. So what you're That's saying right. is that propaganda is effective. And of course propaganda is effective. That's why the government runs the schools. It knows damn well how effective propaganda is. It knows how well and how much and how deeply children bond with whoever gives them their primary instruction. And it's displaced parents by burdening them with second jobs and huge amounts of homework. Homework is just another way of government intruding into family life and disrupting and destroying family relations. And, and what that does is it turns children more towards teachers initially and then towards peers. And so we all have uh, a preference for in-group tribal advancement and acceptance because we're a social species. We're not cats, we're dogs. And so what you're saying to me is, that uh, propaganda works and people like to be accepted and approved of. And I will fully agree with you with that. But that doesn't, you know, uh, that doesn't mean that, I mean, propaganda works on heavy metal musicians. It works on software engineers. It works on everyone except philosophers, right? Which is why <laughs> this show is trying to make as many philosophers as humanly possible because we are the only antibodies that can mm -hmm. fight this plague of pro-state uh, sophistry and propaganda. So uh, it, it's not particular to those people. It's, it's particular to all social creatures that uh, propaganda, bonding, and the seeking of peer approval are very important motivators. Yes, yes. But that's why I just found it a bit superfluous to, to lump the, the, the atheist, for example, in your, in your talk in, in the social group because anyway, yes, they are, like most people. Well, wait, sorry, now, now, but now you're saying superfluous. Yes. Which, first of all, is a very good word to use if it's not your native language. But secondly, you're still dodging the accuracy question. That, no, is but it accurate? It, yeah, it's accurate, but anyway, it's going to be accurate about anybody. 
about any group that you could find if you wanted to talk about, I don't know, rap, rap people or, uh, or writers or, uh, I don't know, bus drivers. No, no, but you, you misunderstand, you're misunderstanding the categories. Whether willfully or not, I don't know, but you are misunderstanding the categories. I did not say that all Christians are anarchists and all atheists are socialists. No, no, no. Sure. So the fact that they're all pro-state Okay, fine, but there's still degrees of pro-state. I mean, the founding fathers were pro-state. That doesn't make them Leon Trotsky and Vladimir Lenin. Oh, I get that, yeah. Okay. All right. Anything else? I had two other questions, but I guess it will be for another time. All right. Thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. And uh, your English is probably better than you think it is. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, up next is Jeremy. Jeremy wrote in and said, I'm starting a business in the tech field. And given that you have experience in this field, do you have any advice on how to get and keep customers? Ah, how to get and keep customers. Well, it shouldn't be a mystery because we all customers long before we're entrepreneurs, right? So do you have any, um, uh, well, let me ask you this. Uh, Do you donate to this show? Um, I donated in 2014, probably two or three hundred dollars, and um, this year I have not, only because I was laid off at the end of uh, 2014. Well, so. first of all, that's incredibly generous, Jeremy, and I appreciate that. And you were officially off the hook for donating a single penny in 2015. So, I appreciate <laughs> you know, that. hey, if all the listeners donated a couple of hundred bucks, well, I'd obviously be broadcasting from a gold throne perched on top of. Uh, a human pyramid of uh, sycophants. But um, so uh, I appreciate that generosity and uh, that's very kind. And uh, I'll, I'll do what I can to help you get a job, not to have you donate, but just out of gratitude for your support. So why do you listen to this show? Because you're a customer and that's why I asked you about the donations. Uh, Yeah. I I feel like I I get a lot out of it. Um, I was turned on to your show and I watched a video about you debating uh, was it the Zeitgeist guy? His name escapes me right now. P. Joe. Peter. Peter Joseph. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I watched, I watched what he was talking about. It sounded kind of interesting, but I could never figure out how it would really work. And then, you know, I watched the debate and I was like, "Wow, this is very interesting." And so, <clears throat> until I got turned on to your show, and uh, um, yeah, I just feel like I get a lot out of it. Uh, very interesting. No, and I appreciate that, but but to break it down in sort of more detail, and like I'm not trying to sort of hoover up compliments about the show, though they're never hated or anything. But but um, you are a customer of the show, and you return for more. And the reason I'm asking you to break that down is because that's what you want your customers to experience, right? right. Whatever it, positive it, thing you're getting, right? Yeah, creating an audience. So you you invest, and so the money is obviously grateful. I'm grateful for it. But you invest time because when you're listening to this show, you're not listening to another show, right? You may be, as some people play video games or whatever, right? But you're not listening to two talk shows at the same time, right? Yeah. Well, I don't find them really that interesting. I guess, you know, there's only, out of all the podcasts, there's only a handful that I really feel like feel like it's worth listening to. No, and I appreciate that. But even if that handful, when you're listening to this show, 
you're not listening to other shows. And so the question is, why? Of all the possible things that you could be doing, would you listen to this show? And if you can begin to really grok that for yourself, then I think you'll understand more about how to get and keep customers. Right. So it's, I would assume it's because it is the most return you can get in the moment. And that's what people generally make their decisions by. And, and there's nothing, it's not a moral discussion, but just from a sort of pragmatic standpoint, you know, if, if you're tired, you may say, I'm going to have a nap, right? In other words, a nap is the most valuable thing you could do for yourself in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding that is, is I think, the key to, to gaining and keeping customers. Because I'm fully aware that, um, I mean, I was pretty early on in the podcast game. I think we got into it in 2006, which is only a couple of years after the specs came out. But the reality is there's like thousands of channels and, and like, I don't know, probably millions and millions of YouTube channels to name just one of many venues. Uh, and everybody wants you to listen to their show and everybody, right? So I'm competing with, it seems like every third person has some sort of show on the internet. So I'm competing with everyone. And the question is, how do I get people to listen to my show rather than someone else's? Well, first of all, I have to believe that it is in people's best interest to listen to my show. Like, I have to genuinely believe that. Because otherwise, I'm just pulling one off on people, right? Oh, you, you know, you'd be better off listening to some other show, but I'm going to trick or fool you into trying to listen to this show by, you know, whore-based clickbaiting. Anyway, that's another topic. But so I, I have to genuinely believe that I provide the best value, not 24-7, but I provide the best value for people to listen to this conversation. And I genuinely believe that. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I believe that this show gives the best value for people who invest their time and energy into it than any other show in the world. I mean, just listen back to that last call. I mean, this guy, I think, ended up light years ahead in terms of self-knowledge and and uh, where, where he wants to go and who he wants to date and all that. And his problems aren't all solved. You know, the light's on and now he can find his way. You know, and I think that's a remarkable thing to achieve in an hour. And I think Hundreds of thousands of other people will be hugely helped by that. Millions over time. Hundreds of millions over more time if all goes well. And I think that there is, to me, no other show that can provide that kind of value. I'm just, I'm just telling you that. And so if you genuinely believe that you are providing the best at what it is that you're doing. I don't provide the best gardening show. Right? I don't provide... Um, the best sports show, I would probably be pretty much the worst conceivable at those particular endeavors. But at what I do, in the way that I do it, I think I'm the best. And that may, obviously, is not to everyone's taste, and I could be completely wrong, but I believe that. And I think there's good reasons to believe that. Like, uh, show's doing aight. And so, if you want to gain and keep customers, you have to tell them, in your own mind, you don't have to tell them directly, but you have to be telling them in your own mind, for what you want, I'm the best. You have to believe that. And it has to not be like magical thinking. 
right? But you have to believe that you're the best for them, that you provide the greatest value for them. And I don't know how it is that you're going to add value uh, in, in your software. But the people who play Candy Crush, that is the best way they can kill time while they're crapping, right? I mean, that's, or whatever, however, I don't know when they play it or whatever, right? But that is the best way that they can do it. I mean, I, I do bike machine cardio every other day, you know, 30, 35 minutes. It's boring as shit. It really is. It's just maintenance for your, for your body. I do sports too, but, but this, this is just something I just sort of have to do, right? And the reality is that that is the best time, that's the very best thing that they could do is boot up Candy Crush and listen to that creepy guy who does the audio. Excellent. I don't know. He just sounds like Sweet. somebody. <laughs> Sweet. It's like, stop looking at my daughter. Sweet. <laughs> it's like, ew. <laughs> Keep your hands out of your pockets, Mr. Raincoat Man. Delicious. Um, <laughs> delicious. Hey. <laughs> Stop peering through that smoky shower window. Sweet. <laughs> what else does he say? I can't remember. There's something else. Oh, I haven't played that in so long. Oh, color bomb. Hey, <laughs> it's the kind of guy you just you, you drop the soap when you're around him in the communal shower. It stays on the ground. Um, but that's that's the best use of time that they have. And you know the candy cash guys. I mean, they they the the visual, the the audio, the you know the you know variety and the level design and all that. I mean, there's a reason they make like eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars a day or whatever crazy sum it is that they make from people twitching on buying extra lives or whatever they buy. So they genuinely believe it, and and the market agrees with them. Now, if you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. But the market won't follow what you don't believe for sure. So and, and this is everything. So, you know, the guy who's running the, the seventh McDonald's in the mile, he got to believe that his McDonald's is the best if he wants the most customers. And he's got to just not have the belief but make it work, make it so. So when I was in software, I believed that the clients would have the best time and get the best software from working with us. I, I genuinely believe that. And I worked really hard to make that not bullshit. I mean, I was like, this is way back in the 90s. I had, you could design your own reports. You could sort and organize and create your own queries. You could uh, output to word processors and spreadsheets. I had a whole interface that you built a database and it would throw up a complete web interface for you with navigation, add, edit, delete, um, and all that. Uh, and all of that was automated. I mean, I made some really kick-ass. Somewhere I've got actually demos of all this crap, which would be interesting when I'm you know, immortal to go and look at and find. But, I mean, this is, it. this is like 17 or 18 years ago, and this was like crazy, radical, excellent, amazing stuff back in the day. And um, uh, it, was, it was great. It was great software and very powerful and very customizable and good stuff all around. Was that your... And, uh, um, can I, can I interrupt? Um, yeah, please. That was that your first attempt at software? Or did you have other ideas that you fleshed out and just didn't pan out before that? Oh, no. My first attempt at software was um, creating a space exploration game on a 2K pad. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I tried to create Missile Commander using only 80 by 25 ASCII graphics. 
and then I created his orc style adventure game and then I created a lunar landing simulator I mean so I did various text and graphic manipulations all throughout my early teens and then of course I did Dungeons and Dragons uh, character gen and uh, adventure simulators and all that kind of stuff and so uh, I mean I'd have done a whole bunch of stuff way way back in the day was it and uh, go ahead uh, Sorry, um, was the software that you're talking about you had commercial success with, was that your first attempt at a commercial, I guess, uh, product? Yes. Okay. But that, I mean, that took years to, right, the, the first stuff was pretty rudimentary. Uh, but uh, as, as the years went by, I wanted, I wanted to be able to, and I've always wanted this in my life, Jeremy, I wanted to be able to stand in front of people and say, I mean, you could buy other people's software, but seriously, I mean, let me show you this, and let me show you this, and let me show you this, and just give them so much great stuff that they're like, oh, man, forget it. Like, whoever comes in afterwards, you know, it's like, well, Freddie Mercury's done. I guess I'll go do some karaoke. That's what I want, you know, for, for uh, people to, like, no way would we buy someone else's stuff. And so... It's, and it, it, this is, I didn't find out uh, long after this, it's this, I think it's Steve Jobs' phrase, like insanely great. Like so great that people just like have to change their genes after the presentation. That, that, and that, if you can stand in front of customers and with your whole heart say, this is the best you're going to get. That this is, and, and not only is this the best you're going to get now, this is the best you're going to get in the future. Like, I used to, this is back in the days of like ActiveX embedded controls. I don't think people use that stuff that much anymore, but I would just like, I would literally spend weekends surfing and buying. This is like, you couldn't even get much code from the web in, in, back in the day. This is, uh, again, sort of the web is like mid 90s. It sort of started to get its, its feet. But I would go out and I would buy books. I'd go like, I'd go to the bookstore, I'd go to the computer section. And I'd buy all the Windows books with like the CDs in the back that had ActiveX controls, which you could sort of drop into your own software. And I would like, I would just install and test and play and see what we could figure out. I'd buy like insane graphing ActiveX controls to just see what beautiful, crazy, n-dimensional stuff we could put in front of people to help visualize their data. I mean. I, I just loved building all of that stuff and exploring all of that stuff and building encapsulated stuff that we could put into other people's programs and building layers and shells we could put over Java to call it from Windows and all. I mean, just really cool. What to me was just fantastic, cool stuff. It was like this, this giant gallery of insanely beautiful stuff that I just wanted to keep adding to and just make it so ridiculously great. You know, like put, put automated code in so every time there was a number, you could double-click on it and build up a calculator field because people were telling me that they were having to go to external calculators and type stuff in. Or just silly little stuff that's so common now, you know, automatically have the code generated so every time you click on a date field anywhere, you get a nice pop-up calendar that means that you can't enter the wrong date, you know, with leap years and all that stuff built in. And like I just loved building all of that stuff so that, I could build things in so people were like, oh, I need the data to validate this way or that way. It's like, well, we could do it for you, but in the end, I just built this whole tool 
that anytime anything happened on in any of the boxes on the screen, it would fire validation options. You could build your own validation code. Like, well, you can't save the record if this field is blank or if this field is between this number and this number. It's too high or too low. It might be a warning. It might be uh, an actual you can't save if. So giving people the power to not just use our software but to change our software so it became a development environment for them wherein they didn't need any code. They could build their own forms and screens and drop-downs and lookups and validation codes and all that. So the, the de- designer team ended up just working within a, an entire development environment that I'd built up that was both desktop and web enabled. And so I was able to stand in front of customers and say, look, I don't know what these other clowns are showing you. I mean, I didn't because you never diss the competition, right? Because let their lack of mania for insanely great stuff do that for them. But you just build like insanely great stuff and always listen to the users because they are the ones who pay the bills and just keep hitting them with insanely great stuff until like, why would I go anywhere? Like, why would I go anywhere else? What, what would like what would the point be? Because they're not mental for greatness. And so if you get that kind of mental for greatness stuff, then you will just build stuff that is irresistible to people. And particularly, of course, you know, in the long run, if you can, you know, like Minecraft, you build the moddable communities of people who can create and expand and extend your stuff. That's you know, that's pretty high tech stuff in the long run. But that approach of just making it, you know, excellence is just a gravity well for people's preferences. And you just keep like, oh, it does this too? Oh, my God, it does. Okay, I'll just take it. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so in the, in, let me ask you this. Um, initially, did you do a lot of advertising or did you start, you know, one customer at a time? Well, initially, yeah, we did, we did some advertising and we did some, uh, you know, you, you go to... I mean, it's you know cheesy marketing 101, but it works. You know, you 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 go to you find um, conferences uh, that are in uh, you, your field, and you go and you set up a booth and you just snag people down, and you know you offer them a free iPod Touch if they put their card into your jar. And um, again, I don't know if this stuff is still done. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. This is sort of back in the day. And then, you know, you give out your iPod Touch and then you've got like 400 cards of people you can cold call and say, hey, remember me from? And maybe you had a brochure and you can give people demos of your software live there. And, um, and so that, so the insanely great part is, is, is important because the end user experience of interacting with whatever you build is, is, is really important. So that's number one. But that's not going to, that's not going to, I mean, if you're selling at the corporate level, that's not going to make anyone write you a check. Because the users can be in love with your software. But the CFO or whoever's going to sign that check or cut that order, they, they mean, it's not like they don't care about the user experience, but that's not what motivates them. right? So the one way to, is just create insanely great stuff. And that's more for like iPads or whatever, right? Or, or Android tablets. They're not return on investment stuff. You know, Candy Crush isn't, oh, look, I'm making money from Candy Crush. It's like, no, I'm spending money on Candy Crush. But that's sort of consumer electronics. So if you're selling that stuff, then it's just insanely great user experiences. And that's just like constantly reinventing the wheel, constantly thinking about new ways of doing things, constantly things about making things better uh, for the user. And just being aware of new GUI designs or new interface designs or new ways 
that you can use whatever it is. I think browsers are used for delivery of a lot of this stuff now. There's, browsers always have these amazing new capabilities and so on. So anyway, so that's number, number two, if you're selling anything that is supposed to return a profit, if you're selling B2B or business to business, sorry, if you're selling to, to a corporation or something like that, then the user experience is still really important, but you need to build a business case, right? And, and the business case is, it's basically simple. You're not paying me money. I'm giving you money, right? And, and you wouldn't put it that way because that's too on the nose. But that's basically the reality of the situation is that they're going to give you $10,000 for your piece of software, but you're going to show them how you're going to save them thirty dollars or $40,000 using your software. And, and that you need real facts, right? You need uh, end user studies, you need uh, an analysis, you need, uh, you, know, you need to study a workflow ahead of time and then say how it changes after you put your software in. So you can say, look, this is not a cost, this is an investment. You know, this is an investment like you can have an engineer who doesn't have a computer, <laughs> right? But he's a very expensive engineer. And you say, well, we got to spend $3,000 to buy him a top-of-the-line computer and then another 1000 bucks for AutoCAD or whatever it is, right? And you say, well, yeah, but if you don't spend the $4,000 on that engineer, it's going to cost you $40,000 a year because he's going to work so slowly. And so you're not spending $40,000. Sorry, you're not spending $4,000 to buy him a computer and AutoCAD. You're saving $36,000 a year or in the first year or whatever, right? I mean, it, you know, you, you could not heat your building, I guess, in winter, but productivity is going to go down as people slowly freeze to their keyboards, right? At least up here in Canada. So the insanely great end-user experience and, and features and, and fun doinky-boinky stuff is great. The beeps and burps, as they used to say in the sales department. But when it comes to being an entrepreneur, you are not taking money you are giving money. You are giving money to people. You are a fountain of money. You are, you know, they buy your stuff, they've won the lottery. And that requires being really strict about solving expensive problems in the business world. That's, I mean, that has to be your fetish. Like, I, I don't want to take your money. I want to give you money. I don't want to be a cost. I want to be an investment. And I don't want you ever to have buyer's remorse. I want you to look back and say, man, I mean, the day I decided to buy ABC piece of software was like the greatest day. So, I mean, we did, um, I won't get into the details because bore everyone's the pants, although I, I loved it. But we, so we did environmental software and we, um, we had consultants who gave half price for their services if customers were using our software because we trained them on the software and it made their work process and workflow more efficient and effective and so on. So so instead of paying 3000 bucks for something, you were paying 1500 bucks for something. And if you do that a certain number of times every quarter, the software pays for itself in X number of quarters. And you try and keep that to four or below if you can, right? And reasonably and, and believably. And so you simply have to find creative ways and that may not be directly between you and the customer, it may be you through a partner to the customer. Find other people who can get involved and make your, your software, your platform, an infrastructure which people can work within to achieve savings for themselves and for others. So the reason that the consultants would give half price on their services is because our software made their services easier to provide. It was a complete win-win. We got our money. The customer saved 1500 bucks in audit 
and the people who did the software, uh, who who did the audit, saved five hundred bucks an audit, which is why they were offer it, able to offer it for less. So that's the kind of stuff where you just it's just win win all the way around, because you don't you don't want to be in a position where people have to hum and whore to buy your stuff. It's like, I mean, come on, this is like you've got to be kidding. You're not going to go. Like, why would you not buy it? Like this, I mean, and and so sometimes we'd lose sales because of weird things like. Um, there's a sudden strike or something unanticipated and so on. But generally, if you can make the case compellingly, consistently validated, backed up, here's the data, here are the references, here's the facts, uh, here's our report on the ROI and so on. And I, I remember building entire tools. I mean, I remember spending weeks and weeks building one screen. And one screen was input all the variables and it outputs a 25-page report complete with graphs on the entire business case as to why a customer should buy this software. And, I mean, salespeople loved it. I mean, they would edit it and this and that, but basically that's the raw material for how to make the sale. Because you don't want to convince someone to buy your software. You want the soft, like the facts have to speak for themselves. Right? You are simply introducing the facts and the numbers and the math about what it is you're doing to people. And again, you're not charging them money. You are saving them money and you are enhancing their experience of going to work. It's more fun to go to work. It's cheaper. It's more efficient. And they're not spending their time doing diddly little stuff, but they are spending their time doing more enjoyable stuff. You know, it's the old thing. Buy our tax software and then go play catch with your son or daughter. Right, So instead of pouring through all these charts and graphs and looking stuff up in thick books and so on, you tab through all this, you enter your numbers, out, you, know, you file it electronically, and you're out playing catch with your son. Because people would rather play catch with their son than work on their taxes. So I'm sorry for like, that long speech and so on, but if you have that perspective as an entrepreneur and you're just willing to there's no two ways about it, work like a dog to, to achieve what it is that you say, then it's, I think, sort of irresistible. You, you can't fail to succeed if, if you do all of that. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yep. It's, uh, the books I've been reading about it, I mean, it sort of echoes some of the same things. Um, and I, I mean, I think those are the important points uh, you know, create products people can't resist. <clears throat> and I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about framing it that way, you know, talking to a business customer. It's not about you spending money. It's about how much is going to save you. I mean, I guess I, that thought had crossed my mind, but how important it is to sort of hammer that home if I am B2B, uh, you know, for the company I'm selling to. Um. Yeah, the, I, I would say that it's changed. Some of the some of the marketing's changed, and the way that you can market to people is a lot cheaper now. The internet, um, yeah, and so there's a lot there's a lot more options. So that's why I was kind of curious to see about how you were able to be successful. Well, you know, I, as far as this show goes, you know, uh, uh, years and years ago when I used to sell books and pay for advertising, and then I just decided since I was about making, I was paying about as much in advertising for the show as I was making from selling the books. So I thought, well, f forget that. I mean, just, just give the books away. 
and that'll be my advertising. And it was a very good decision. Now we've got like 50, 100,000 book downloads a month, and they're all being handed around and shared. People read, hopefully appreciate the quality of work and thought that went into the books, come listen to the show, end up donating at freedomainradio.com slash donate. And um, uh, it was, I never looked back. It was a, I think it was a great decision. And um, so th- these kinds of just different ways of, of doing things, trying to sort of think, quote, outside the box, um, giving books away for free, of course, a lot easier with the internet than it was beforehand. Although for many years, if anybody wanted a free copy of or copies of any of my books, I would just send it to them. Like the physical books, I just pay for it and send it to them. And um, uh, so I, th- I think just generosity and, and goodwill do create a kind of reciprocal obligation in everyone except sociopaths, I think, in the long run. Um, you know, we are social creatures, and generosity begets generosity uh, in, in most people. And uh, so, you know, don't be afraid uh, to be generous. Anyway, so is there anything else that I can help you with regards to the software thing? Uh, no, I just, I just, uh, I did um, have a, something I disagreed with the last caller. He said that there's no chess players that are anti-state, and I want to mention that Gary Kasparov is uh, pro-capitalism. I don't know that he's necessarily totally anti-state, but I just want to mention that. Oh, yeah. Well, I assume that a lot of the Russian guys who grew up under communism yeah. is uh, well, um, not, not exactly pro-state. So, no, I, I can certainly get that. And thanks right. very much uh, for, for your time. You are very welcome. Thank you so much for the call. And I will um, talk to everyone, I guess, relatively soon, if you would like to help out the show. uh, Freedomainradio.com slash donate, where you can sign up for the low, low price of a couple of bucks a month, 10, 5, 10, 20, or more. I would really, really appreciate it, as would we all who rely upon your generosity for food, shelter, and the occasional loincloth for casual Fridays. So uh, freedomainradio.com slash donate. Really, really appreciate that. And have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. We will talk to you soon.